told you to. You said you have a son. Go home to him. She's always there. Hello and welcome back to Scream Addicts Hammer Pub. I am Jinx, your host. I am sitting here with my co-host Sally Chapel and Paul Farrell. Gang! How's it been? How's your week been? What's going on? What's happening? I'm good. I don't know. Fucking hell. That's it? That's the energy we're bringing <laughs> I to always this episode? Wait. I, I always wait to see if Ali will answer first, and then, like, if the pause is too long, then I'll jump in with how I'm doing. I feel like I just don't remember my week at all. <laughs> and it's not like I did a bunch of cool <clears throat> shit. It just feels like I went to sleep, and now it's Monday again. You've been you've been prepping your character for, oh, for, yeah. for your, I'm very for your film. My my script right now, it's really good, guys. Can't wait. So you are okay. So you have revealed as much on social media that you are playing a character who has been possessed. Can you yeah. tell Hammer Pub listeners out there a little bit more than that? Can you can you can you clue them in as to you know the 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 finer details on what this project is, or is it very tightly under wraps and you can't say any more than that? Um, I don't know how much I can say, but if you follow me on the social medias, you'll definitely see me just like randomly posting about this book that I'm currently reading. And it may or may not have to do with this film. I could hear you winking just then. I, know, right? <laughs> I was also going to be like, wink. and I signed an insurance waiver today stating Wait. that I'm okay to work. What is, okay, so what does that entail? I'm fascinated by that. Oh, what is... It's like eight pages long and it's me just being like stating if I have any previous like injuries just because this is a very like physical movie that I can't like go in with like having problems or not like and then I had to tell them a bunch of stuff like if I have you know chronic illnesses or blood disorders and I'm like this is the most intense insurance form also if I have a little invasive um yes there's also one part which this one I realized later that I do understand why they ask but they asked if I have any cold sores and or herpes and if i do there's a two-page form i have to fill out and i was like that seems vaguely personal but like well if you have to kiss somebody or like do a mouth-to-mouth thing then you should probably let the other person know (laughs) okay but my question to that is then like if your answer is yes then what do they tell the other actor they're just like "Eh, sorry about your luck or like how does that how's that you signed a waiver (laughs) signed a waiver if you get herpes that's on you that's kind of on that Uh, i agree they also asked me how many alcoholic drinks per day i have and i'm like i'm gonna say none because how are you gonna check that (laughs) what could you possibly do i'm answering this on a tuesday and so my answer is none now if you had caught me last night during hammer pub oh boy (laughs) 
we may have had a different answer. <laughs> awesome. Well, hey, as with every project that you are involved in, I am certain that listeners and myself and Paul cannot wait to see it. And I'll bet there's somebody else who would probably be keen to see it, too, which leads me to a fun announcement. Hey, Allie. Hey, Paul. Guess what? What? What's that? We have a guest. Oh, my gosh. I'm so excited. All right. I, Paul, you didn't bring the excitement there. I felt like I'm so I, excited. Okay. Come, I said I'm very excited. Take it to I'm, 11. Come on. You can do it, Paul. I I am Sing so it. excited. I cannot wait. I'm so excited. Would you say you're so excited you just I'm amped up. Can't hide it? Yes, I would say that. <laughs> you know, I, I, I led you right there and you're not gonna do anything with it. You know, it, it's I don't it's know. fine. I'm, Allie, I'm not... Allie, help me out here. Come on. I'm doing my best. Excited. You can do this. Yeah. Who's on? Who's coming today? Who is our guest star? You see that, Paul? Was that so hard? Do you well, think she's that was the hard? Actor. Okay. I just I write things down sometimes. That's about, you know. Okay, Lily Gilded. Oh For this episode, we are joined by Josh Corngut, managing editor at Dread Central and host of that site's development hell podcast, which I have guested on several times now. It's always a blast chatting unmade horror movies with you. Josh, how are you? Thanks for visiting us here at the pub. Well, I'm great, but I'd feel better if I thought Paul was happier to see me, but no, I, whatever. I really, I've dropped the ball. Wow. Turn on, Paul. I am, That's, I... I might leave. It, <laughs> I might leave. In all honesty, though, I am very excited. <laughs> Jinx just makes it sound like I'm not. Like, he's super good at making <laughs> me sound... Like I'm just a, a disappointing presence on the show. That that's kind of his power when it comes to me. Well, Paul, I'm never that. I'm never angry with you. Oh but um but he's disappointed. Well, <laughs> which is worse. Which is worse. It is worse. Yeah. But I but I do make him look better, which is why he keeps me around, I think. Oh, okay. It's like a weird mix on my face right now of like stern disapproval but mild appreciation. Yeah, right. So you're the mom. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's Wait, like, what? No, that's pretty much. That's yeah, that's about right. That's okay. no, 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 no. This is this is not how we're beginning this episode. I am. <laughs> it's, it's already uh, done. Mm-hmm. Here, we're ready to chat one of my favorite Hammer movies. You know what? I'm going to go ahead and say it. Spoiler alert for anybody who uh, who wanted to be surprised to hear my take on this movie. But fuck it, I'm going to go ahead and say it. Not even new Hammer. I'm going to say this is one of my favorite Hammer movies, period. I adore the movie we're going to be chatting about tonight. I love the group that we have together uh, this evening. Josh, thank you so much for being on. Now, before we dive into our recent watches, I want to ask Josh Mm -hmm. to go ahead and introduce himself to Hammer Pub listeners out there. Tell us a bit about yourself beyond uh, what I uh, rambled through during my intro. Well, you did cover a lot of it. Hi, everybody. I'm Josh. I am the managing editor at Dread Central, where I host Development Hell, and I often force Jinx to come on and be a guest because he knows everything about it. I also happen to be a filmmaker in Toronto, Canada. Love horror. It's my life. I will die for horror. And I'm honestly really excited to be here. I've been begging and pleading to be a guest for so long, and now it's finally happened. So I'm weeping. I'm so excited. Excellent. Well, we are happy and lucky to have you on. Now, as we do with every episode, I will ask Josh, our guest, to go first. Josh, can Mm. you tell listeners out there about one or two recent horror movies that you've seen that you would like to recommend? Yeah, definitely. 
So it was my birthday not long ago. Humble brag, I guess, because I'm alive. Happy birthday. And thank you. And I thought, okay, I'm just going to go see something in the city where I live, which is Toronto. And the couple, yeah. Yes. At least two Canadians in the room. So it's going to be chaotic. (laughs) Two Toronto people in the room. And like, I mean, that's all that matters. No, just kidding. All Canada is good. So (laughs) there was this movie playing. At this little theater near me called The Paradise. Ali, have you been? I haven't been since they've like fully remodeled it, but their lineup looks crazy and it looks like such a good theater. Like they oh, it's so remodeled nice. it and it's beautiful. Yeah, it's very Art Deco, very classy, perfect birthday scenario. And they were playing Bloodthirsty, the Amelia Moses movie from a couple years ago. Yeah, it's, it's really good. It was really good. I didn't know what to expect out of it. It's very indie horror sort of werewolf moment but also has a lot of music infused in it there was this musical artist named lowell i believe that created a lot of really cool original music for it and luckily the music's really great um so i really recommend if you get a chance to see bloodthirsty i think it's a raven banner joint check it out sort of like a feminist music forward werewolf joint it's pretty cool yeah, I think that's it for me. I also caught the first two episodes of Cursed Films 2. Not really a movie, but uh, I got to check that out recently, and that was pretty interesting. A lot of uh, Wizard of Oz drama. So if you're into that, so, check it out. A lot of shit went down on that set. A lot. But you know what? No dead little people. It's a lie. It's a lie. It's a lie. Ooh, I didn't I know did it was a lie. Now I know it's a lie. I was going to say, that's a that's a revelation for me. I was did you not? that was true. <laughs> I I thought it was, I mean, it's so absurd that it had to be, but no, of course it's not. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Damn it. I mean, you know, I I didn't want anybody to have died. (laughs) Your disappointment is. No, no. Yeah, I'm concerned about this disappointment. Hear me out. Let me back out of this. I'm dangerously, like, perilously close to canceling myself here. You hate background actors. Is that what it is? Yeah, that's what it, that's what you're saying. That's a thousand percent what it is. Oh my God. The union's coming. I hear them. (laughs) There's no digging myself out of this hole. Um, <laughs> yeah, just gotta. I should probably just let it slide, but I, you know, everybody knows I can't. I'm gonna go ahead and dive into this. I'm gonna tackle this. I'm gonna do this. Mm-hmm. It's not that I wanted anybody to have died. It's just that you know when you hear about these legends surrounding like these these movies, I I love the idea of these darker histories, and so. Uh, you know, when 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 somebody runs around with a flashlight showing us how the magician pulls the rabbit out of the hat, you know, it's just kind of like, OK, you know, that's that's a little less wonder and mystery and spookiness there is in the world. Just kill them. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you. I, I, wish, I, the, wish that I'll, yeah. I wish that the background actor died, too. I do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, oh, thank God I can edit all of this out. <laughs> nope. No, don't. And you're I do a lot of weird, like jump edits in this in this uh, intro. Yep. What's up, people wonder? All right, so I, well, Josh, I will ask you, cursed films. Like, how are those episodes stacking up against uh, the ones in the first season, which I actually thought was uh, was pretty damn good. I I don't. Okay, so I've only seen the first two, but I think I like it more so far. It's giving me more like prestige Netflix documentary energy this time around, less mm. Shutter prestige documentary. <laughs> so I, I think they're up in their game. I think they're up in their their stuff. I'm into it. Cool. Jay Chila is so great. So I, I'm so excited to dive in. Is the first 
two episodes just Wizard of Oz, or what's the other movie? No, so the first episode was Wizard of Oz. Second one was Rosemary's Baby. And I got to talk to them recently, Jay, for Dread Central. It was very cool. Another Toronto queen. Nice. So, wait, what is... uh... What is Rosemary's Baby's deal? Do they deal with like Sinatra being a son of a bitch and like divorcing Mia Farrow? What like, is that the... was the issue? Honestly, it's you know when you're like up too late and you're like, I just gotta finish watching it, and you do, but you don't really absolve a lot of it. I don't really yeah. remember. I was okay to get too real. Please cut this out immediately. I thought they would address some of the you know um, controversies surrounding that film and its filmmaker, but they don't. So I think it's more of, like, people that worked on it, dying, stuff like that. More traditional mm-hmm. cursed okay. film energy. Huh. Okay. Fair yeah. Interesting. Well, I feel like we all know about Roman Polanski and what Well, he- yeah. I was actually really surprised that it was a choice based on that. And mm-hmm. But no, there's sort of, they, don't really, they don't really approach it from that angle. Which isn't the move I would take, but uh, it's not my series, so... <laughs> so curious too like i uh, and i'm far from the first person to point this out i forget where i read it last even but yeah you had this filmmaker who made like this you know even for I, I i think it was all male creatives on that movie and yet like it's a surprisingly like great feminist film and then you know like a decade and a half later he's <clears throat> you know harming a child like um it's just bizarre mm-hmm. it's bizarre to me i i want to uh I mean, Polanski is a great filmmaker, but I, I just, I, I would like to credit that movie's success to Ira Levin. I think you're yes. totally right about that. Especially because, when you consider that Levin also wrote The Stepford Wives, which is yeah, also like a great such feminist a good work. Movie. Yeah, I think, yeah, another I think that feminist bolsters, moment. Yeah, and I think that bolsters that argument for sure, like mm-hmm. the Stepford Wives element of it all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so let's celebrate Ira Levin and say fuck Roman Polanski. And on that note, Allie, what have you seen recently? Okay. I don't know if we're counting this movie as a horror film, but I took myself on a little date to the movie theater and I saw me a little vampire flick called Morbius. Mm -hmm. It's so weird that we've made the leap from Polanski to Jared Leto. Is it? Yeah. Both not streamlined to me. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Logical. She got it. <laughs> yep. But I really liked Morbius. I know it's kind of getting like a bum rap right now and everyone's kind of hating on it. But like, I just feel that Marvel doesn't know what to do with films that aren't superhero films. Because they also did the same thing with Blade. And Blade is amazing. I don't care what anybody says. I will die on that mountain. But... It was a lot of fun. There are some very obvious issues, but I mean, overall, it's a solid like 90 minute film and it it moves. I'm so proud of them for making it 90 minutes. Good for them. Wait, is it 90 minutes? You know what? As I said that, I'm probably a fucking liar. I mean, usually it's two and a half hours. So, uh, you That's know. True. It's definitely yeah. not two and a half hours. It definitely plays very fast. If, if it's if it's 90 minutes, you just sold a ticket. Because <laughs> I made two in. tickets. Okay, yeah. It's 144 minutes. So pretty sorry, good. Oh, okay. Sorry, a one hour and 44 minutes. So 100, that's, 104. That's right? pretty like, good with, for a with trailers, thing. That, that means you're still in there for over two hours. Listen, in the era of the Batman, this is impressive to me. Oh, <laughs> my goodness. You're, you're not wrong. Trailers. You don't Batman was very long. Trailers are happening. I mean, I didn't see it, but I believe I, that, that is the case. 
that was really the, good, but damn. The, the Batman was the first movie I saw in theaters since uh, Invisible Man in oh February of 2020. That's wild. I know. Yeah, it was it was crazy. It just yeah, that was when I finally went back was because my buddy invited me to the Batman. So I was like, I guess I'll go then. I'm not even a big superhero guy. I just (laughs) just had the option to go. Because why not? Mm -hmm. It was very long, (laughs) but I liked it. It was good. Also, Jess, I know it's the a completely different company, but truly. Morbius has bat genes inside of him. If anyone's going to be called Batman, it should be Morbius. Just uh, <laughs> I like that. Because I'm sorry, Batman is not a bat. He does not have bat genes in him. All he is is a little rich boy who won't give up his money to like actually help people in need. He just throws on a costume and plays vigilante. Yeah, fuck you, Batman. Fuck you, Batman. Fuck you, Batman. Yeah. I think it's about time After that someone took bullshit. Batman to task here. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's Ali's turn. Yeah. It's my turn. All right. It's my turn to yell about Batman. Oh my God, are you Batman? <laughs> no, other than that, uh, today I watched <laughs> The Taking of Deborah Logan for the first time. Oh, nice. And choice. it's real good. Mm-hmm. Like, I did one, I went into it not knowing anything. Like, I didn't, I just had seen the trailer and that one poster of her eating that kid's head. Did not know it was going to be found footage. And I was like, ooh, all right. I can, I can get on board with this. And it was like, oh, it was creepy as shit. That lead actress is a fucking banger. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it has one of my favorite moments any horror movie ever had, and it is not the jaw scene, although that that is a jaw dropper. <laughs> Turns the camera, winks, bows. No, um, the character who, like, he he's the voice of the audience in this one moment halfway through after all this crazy stuff has happened. He's basically like, you all are staying after all of this? You know what? fuck you all i'm leaving and he drives out of the movie and you never see him again yeah he literally drives right out of the plot of the film and i adored that moment so much (laughs) i love him what a king and they uh i think fresh eventually did something kind of similar with one of its characters too which i loved but uh i don't know i love that moment i love when you have a character who's just kind of like the the voice of reason and says uh you know there's literally no reason for us to be involved in any of this shit let's just let's just go we should go you're not go. going i'm going mm-hmm. i love people make own decision and then there's per greta gerwig in the the house of the devil who like kind of tries to do that i think and then it doesn't work out yeah she she um she tried, but uh, oof. She looked great, though. Yeah. Yes. And the effort the was there, you know. Yeah, the hair, though. What is the What is the line that uh, that directly precedes her uh, her big exit? Was it something like "Oh, you're not the babysitter" or something like that? Yeah, then, uh, yeah, yeah, something like that. That guy's so hot. Exit, uh, exit, Greta, stage left. Bye. Joke on and, and stage right, and then kind of all over the stage too. Yes, all over the yeah. <laughs> um, no, that's cool, uh, Ali. That is that is a great choice. I love that movie. I can't believe you hadn't seen it before, but I'm so happy that you Actually, did. I, it's been on my watch list for a long time, and now this week I'm watching like a bunch of possession movies, just one after another, just to get like everyone's kind of take on possession, and like felt it was time that I bust that out. But I didn't watch a lot of movies this week. I marathoned that show, The Minx, about the feminist porn magazine. It's real good. Yeah, Jake Johnson. Jake that. Johnson for fucking ever. I yeah. love that dude so much. Future husband right there. 
just always been so hot. And I feel like he's always going to be so hot. That's my feeling. He is. Yeah. I gotta watch that. That looks great. Honestly, it's really good. It's very funny. There's... I'm always yelling about how there needs to be more dicks in cinema. I was just gonna ask if there was dicks. This show (laughs) does bring a lot of dicks. There are some prosthetics on, like, the lead dick men, but there is a whole montage in, like, the first episode of just, like, dick after dick after dick. Who's the lead... Who's the lead girl? Oh, why can't I think of her name? She's real fucking cute, though. Um... But not, like, a household name, necessarily. No, it's uh, Ophelia Lovey Bond. Whoa. Wasn't expecting she that. She better be cute. It's yeah. quite a name. It's yeah. quite a you know, name. Like, yeah, I truly do not know what else she's been in. Apparently, she was in The Autopsy of Jane Doe. Was she oh. the Autopsy of Jane? Was she the, Was She, she played Jane Emma? Doe? I don't remember that <laughs> movie very well. Was she Brian Me Collins? neither. Is she, uh, like, the body? Like, the Jane Doe? I don't think sort of corpse so. <laughs> or is she maybe the girlfriend maybe the girlfriend if you said that her name is emma that gives me girlfriend energy yeah yeah well because there's not that many people in that movie <laughs> no very and it's, is that brian cox yeah oh, brian cox forever that dude's a perfect human oh, him yeah, I doing love that movie. the euphoria monologue oh God, i think about it every day kills me <laughs> It's really good and precious. I watched it so many times. <laughs> it's so good. Every time. I, I think him and Sydney Sweeney just need to switch careers completely. Oh my god, I would love to see her as like Logan on Succession. Yes, and to see him as the teenage daughter from the White Lotus. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yeah. I'm that's, here for it. That's a show right there. That's a show. Mm-hmm. All right, but that's it for me and what I have watched and or been up to all right paul how about you uh yeah i've watched a couple things this week um i guess the two i'll talk about uh one is very appropriate to the film we we are watching tonight i watched the original 1989 woman in black for the first Uh, time is that the bbc one yeah yeah the made for tv bbc thing and i've you know as is typically the case, it's a movie I've had on my shelf for years uh, that I never opened or watched. Uh, Wait a second. Whoa, 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 whoa. Paul, back up. Yeah, I know. Seconds. How shocking. do you have that? Uh, I have an import. It's a it's oh. a UK uh, region-locked Blu-ray that I picked up when I, when I went region-free because I had always wanted to see it, and I knew they had a release over there, so I imported it, and then I just didn't watch it until now. Um, here in the states, we only have one shitty DVD release that's been bootlegged the hell and back. Because if you want to own the actual thing, you have to drop like two hundred and fifty dollars. It's insane. Whoa. Yeah. Um. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I interrupted somebody. That's just crazy. <laughs> no, it's it's uh, insanity. I'm glad you have a Blu-ray of it, though. It needs to get a release over here. I mean, come on, Vinegar Syndrome. It's it's your time to shine. Let's do this. Yeah, and the Blu-ray looked great. Um, and one thing I appreciated about it was it was very much like the intact as aired, uh, you know, show, uh, it even has like when it, when it sort of fades to the title before it goes to credits, like, so like every maybe like 25 minutes, it sort of fades to black and then the title woman in black comes up and then it fades (laughs) off as the music swells. And so the score is sort of intact as it would have aired, which I actually found rather quaint. I feel so um, comforted right now. It, it really, it, it did. I mean, it's it, it's hard to explain, but there's something about, 
especially like 80s British made for TV ghost stories <laughs> that just makes me feel so warm and toasty inside while at the mm-hmm. same time being like distinctly unnerved. Like it, it really, it really is effectively creepy. Kind of like in the best sort of way, like when you watch a really good adaptation of a Christmas Carol, mm-hmm. you know, like there's just this, this great line that it manages to, t- to toe. Um, but yeah, woman, I mean, you know, I won't go too deep into it because we're about to watch the same movie. Although I will, uh, I'd like to compare and contrast some of it because the, the special was a lot hewed more closely to the book. Uh, whereas obviously the remake deviates in some very big ways. Um, most notably that Arthur Kidd is happily married with a very much a live wife uh, in this film. And, and much of the grief that pervades the remake is, is simply not present in the original um, making for really a, a clean, I, and I won't get too deep into it, but it's a little bit more simple. Um, it's sort of a cut and dry ghost story um, in that way uh, uh, that maybe doesn't reach the emotional depths uh, that the new one does, but there are some very effective creepy moments in it. So um, yeah, I, I, I really loved it. I know it's hard to see uh, anybody out there that is region free. The Blu-ray is accessible on Amazon UK and it's not very expensive. So definitely recommend checking it out. Uh, so that was that was awesome. Um, the other movie I checked out that I wanted to talk about, it's not it really isn't horror, but it it sort of skirts the genre. It's um, Jinx. I think you you've seen it. Uh, it's I start counting. I bought the Blu-ray during a vinegar syndrome sale, I believe. I have not seen the film yet. Yeah, it it showed up on my radar when um recent I guess not recently now, but like one of the last times that Tarantino showed up on Pure Cinema podcast, it was a movie that got highlighted, I believe. I don't remember which episode. Um, but they, you know, Tarantino cited it as something he really loved and like was a big influence to him. And so it got some play online. Um, and funny enough, it was shot primarily at Bray Studios, which I did not know. So it's very, uh, you know, it's very apt to talk about it on the Hammer Pub. <laughs> I love, now um, I have to watch it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it is, um, so it's starring Jenny Gutter, who is, uh, she's in many things, but she was the, she's the nurse character in um, uh, American Werewolf in London. So she's fairly recognizable for horror fans. You see, she's very young in this, but the minute you see her face, you're like, oh, I've seen her in like mm-hmm. a bunch of movies. Um, and it's, it's uh, a movie. So it's about, you know, uh, some teenage girls who attend an all girls Catholic school. Um, and amidst their sort of shenanigans, there is a serial killer in their area targeting, you know, 15 to 17 year old girls. So girls are being murdered um, amidst uh, their sort of awakening as sexual beings and, and, you know, young kids turning into young women. Um, And all the while there's this through line where our protagonist, the Jenny, a gutter character 
is sort of like she's in love with her much older stepbrother. Uh, so it's kind of this blue story thread where she's developed this infatuation with him. And when I say much older, I mean, this guy's pushing 40. Um, he is not showing any romantic interest in her, but she's just kind of developed this, this crush that she wants to see develop at the same time. She starts to think this guy, she, this, her stepbrother is actually the serial killer. So there's, there's elements of shadow of a doubt. I don't know if you guys have ever seen the Hitchcock film shadow of a doubt, um, where I'm I'm uh, getting a little bit that a little bit of trouble with Harry, maybe. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of Hitchcock stuff going on. Um and there's some really interesting like loss of innocence thematic things happening. It's a very it's a very complex horror drama. Um you know, they they've moved on from their old house which has been abandoned, it's about to be destroyed so the area can be sort of gentrified because they're very poor and she keeps like returning to her dilapidated childhood home. Um and there's there's all these sort of nods to the killer potentially using that location or area as a place to squat or hide or potentially like bring girls there first before he kills them. And she starts to struggle with, you know, can she still love this person that's probably doing these things and should she help him or turn him in? And is that even really the case? So there's a lot of really complex emotional things happening. Um, it's, it's a bit of a slow build towards where it's all going. Uh, but it does have a rather explosive finale. Like it's one of those movies where you're watching it. You're not sure it's really going to ever deliver on the killer stuff. And it very much does. But again, in a, in a manner befitting the kind of like introspective way that the story is being told. Um, I really liked it. Uh, it's, it's pretty unsettling. It's not a super pleasant movie. Um, and it deals with some stuff that I think would really off put a lot of people. <laughs> um, the average moviegoer would, would probably not enjoy this thing, uh, uh, which makes sense that someone like Tarantino would love it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's bril- brilliantly made. I, I really liked it. It's definitely an un- undiscovered gem. So uh, if any of that sounds interesting to anyone, I, I really recommend it. And the Blu-ray, uh, which is sold through Vinegar Syndrome's website, but actually put out by Fun City Editions, is a really uh, nice release. Uh, transfer's great. Uh, a lot of special features. Uh, there's a, a great booklet in there with uh, some essays. So if, if you're interested in that sort of thing, it's definitely worth picking up. I uh, I think I should probably pick it up. And, and carry o- and it open over it to my and, player. And watch it. <laughs> and open it. And watch it. I think so, uh, too. I want to buy it, but keep it on my shelf for, like, a decade. And mm-hmm. well, I, I mean, that's what I would do. do mm-hmm. That's the move. Yeah. Yep. All right. So uh, I only have two movies to talk about. Have any of you heard of this recent film called Bull? Mm-hmm. I haven't okay. seen it, though. Interested. All right. Allie, Paul, how about you two? I don't think so. I've heard of it, but I have not seen it. Okay, so I saw the trailer some time ago, and uh, it just kind of 
you know, I don't think it even gave a release date. It was just kind of banding about the fact that this movie was made. And it wasn't until about a week ago on Twitter. Uh, it's funny that you mentioned Pure Cinema, Paul. Uh, Elric Kane mentioned that he had seen this movie. And he uh, he kind of compared it to this great movie that came out, uh, I want to say, in the early aughts called Dead Man's Shoes. Uh, I don't know if any of you have seen that. The Patty Considine movie. Uh, it's excellent, by the way, if you haven't seen it. But um yeah, and just that comparison alone, I was like, okay, this this is a film I need to see. So, um, and much like Dead Man's Shoes, Bull is kind of cut kind of in the same vein of like the classic British revenge film, like uh, Get Carter or um, I'll Sleep When I'm Dead, where you have a lead character who is seeking revenge and tearing everything up while looking for the person responsible for their... Um, you know, passivity, as it were, uh, while we learn about why they're seeking revenge in the first place and exposition and flashbacks. And uh, Bull is kind of similar, and it even reminded me a bit of a recent brutal take on that kind of subgenre called The Horseman uh, from about a decade ago. Have any of you seen that? It is it is a tough watch, but it's great. The Quaid movie? No. No. no oh, okay. No, then no. no. <laughs> it's, the one I'm talking about is good. Um <laughs> No, The Horseman is uh, actually doesn't have any recognizable stars. I believe it's it's an Australian film, I believe. Uh, but incredible film, uh, incredibly brutal, but very much a riff on the same sort of movie. Now, with Bull, it's pretty much the same sort of thing. Um, and the thing is, even for all of its violence, and there is a great deal of violence in the movie, one would be hard-pressed to call it a horror film, until a certain point, there is an aspect of the film which introduces a genre element pretty late in the game. And it's it's <laughs> it's a marvelous reveal. Uh, Neil Maskell from Kill List is the lead. He's excellent. Uh, the film has great characters. It's really gripping. It has a shocking ending. Um, and, you know, by the end of the movie, the lead character and the film both proved to have a pretty big heart. And uh, I love movies like that. I uh, And I don't really want to talk much about the plot simply because there's much in the way of a plot to be found until, well, you start getting into spoilery territory. But again, you know, you have a lead figure. He's pissed off and he starts tearing his way through London's sort of underground of criminals and there's a very specific reason why he's doing that and um it's written and directed by paul andrew williams who did the british film the cottage from a while back which i never saw due to its uh, dodgy dvd art it looked rather cheap but now that i'm aware of this guy's work and the fact that it stars inside number nine's reese shearsmith i i figure i need to seek it out now as well but um big thumbs up for bull it's one of my favorite movies so far this year oh I'll have to check it out. I uh, I I have seen The Cottage. I bought that uh, shoddy DVD art DVD way back when. And that's a really, really fun, uh, underappreciated horror comedy. Okay. Comedy, really? Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's it's like a... Uh, I mean, it's it's a little bit more horror than comedy, but I it is 100% a horror comedy. Because it's like a very black comedy in that way. You know, it's 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 very dark... But it's it's incredibly silly, and it's definitely got a like a mean sense of humor to it. Well, I saw that um, um, 
Andy Serkis is one of the leads as well. And so when I looked it up and so I was like, how the hell have I not seen this movie? Like with Serkis and Shearsmith, uh, uh, those two guys alone. Uh, well, yeah, that's enough too. yeah, because half of the movie is them sort of like being idiot kidnappers who are just doing a bad job of kidnapping someone. So that's <laughs> just kind of inherently funny. And then like, in the middle of them doing this crime, they stumble upon a different way more terrifying thing that becomes a threat to all of the characters. So it's, and then that sort of makes everybody on an even playing field in that way. Um, It's, it's very fun. I really like that movie. It's, it's one that very few people ever talk about, but it's whenever it comes up, I'm always like, Oh yeah, that's great. Okay. All right, I'm gonna. I may watch it tonight because you know the hell with sleep. I want to see it. (laughs) (laughs) It's a good time, man. All right, the second film I want to talk about is called See for Me. Have any of you seen this? Oh my god, yeah! It's like I literally just got a screener sent to me and watched it. And my friends who program a festival were like, "Yo, you need to watch this film. It's unique and awesome." I. It's so good. It's so good. Josh, uh, Paul, have either of you seen it? No, but I've covered it at work, and it looks super interesting, so I want to hear what you think. I uh, I haven't seen it yet. I, what's funny is I almost hit play on it last night. Really? It's on Shudder. <laughs> mm-hmm. like, I almost watched it, and I was like, now nah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go a different direction, but man, now I'm, now I'm regretting that I didn't. <laughs> it's, uh, it's good stuff. It really is. It is a, uh, I believe it's a Shudder exclusive. Did I get that it right? But uh, for a bit, but I think now it's completely Shudder exclusive. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. That sounds right. It is uh, it is about a young ex skier named Sophie who, uh, as we begin the film, we discover that she has lost her sight, and she has been taking jobs, sort of house and pet sitting for wealthy people to make extra cash on the side. And um, once we sort of get into the film, she takes a weekend job at this remote mansion to cat sit for a recent uh, divorcee, played by I think it's Laura Vandervoort from uh, from Jigsaw. Mm-hmm. I think she was super cool for a time too on Smallville as well. Um, and there is this mishap that happens early on where she accidentally locks herself out of the house and she uses this app called see for me to connect to a sighted assistant named Kelly, who sort of helps her navigate her way around the house and back inside. And by the way, I have to ask, is this, this can't be just like a movie only thing. Like this is too great of an idea to be relegated to just a film like there there has to be apps like this right i don't know it is genius. Um, yeah there is i think it's called be my eyes whoa that's even scarier sounding i know they should call it that <laughs> yeah, but it enables blind people to receive live assistance from like volunteers of people who they'll just hold their phone up and then tell you where to go and like what to do awesome that is so cool i love that idea um huh. But yeah, anyway, uh, later that night, a group of criminals break into the house looking for uh, just millions apparently stashed away there. And when Sophie discovers this, she opens the app and she selects Kelly to be her helper again to phone the police and be her eyes to sort of help her survive this this particularly harrowing situation. And there are a few fun twists which prolong the setup and add sort of loads of tension to the film. all while acting like as a showcase for some pretty great performances throughout. Um, Skylar Davenport plays Sophie. She's kind of like this. Uh, she's bristly and snarky and independent to a fault and sometimes just downright mean spirited. 
But the performance, even for all of that, like it makes her real and it makes her sympathetic and like she's never unlikable, which has to have been or had to have been rather like a, a, a tightrope of a performance to pull off, I think. And um, uh, I wrote the other name down. Jessica Parker Kennedy plays Kelly, who is, uh, you know, she's eventually revealed to be an army veteran with a bit of a dark past who is also addicted to playing video games, which is. <laughs> Kind of a fun way to show how she's able to pilot Sophie through dark and dangerous situations through her phone like an avatar. Like it's almost like she's playing a video game, but for real in this it's really a interesting way. Shooter movie, and it's so good. Yes, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I wonder if there wasn't a version of this movie kicked around at one point that would have been solely like a device movie. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm glad they didn't go that route, but I, I think even that could be kind of compelling uh, with a setup like this. But um, yeah, I mean, the setup is very, it's, it's modern wait until dark, but it still brings enough new to the table, I think to make it worthwhile. So if you get the chance, definitely check it out. Cool. Skylar Davenport. That person sounds rich. <laughs> like Davenport? Yeah. Although, or a drag queen. Oh, have you been One to Davenport? All right, gang, I think we're just about ready to dive into our commentary. Is everybody ready? I have to load up my shutter. Um, do you guys have shutter, and do you Chromecast your shutter onto your TV? I have no. Okay, so I do that just because, like, I'm on, okay, I'm on somebody else's account, but whatever, it's cool. But what I Chromecast is, like, they're, I'm going to send you a picture of what shows up because it looks like shutter is broken but this is just what their like chromecast screen looks like and it's just a gray screen and then the most generic font like the font we have in in skype just says shutter in a small in just a small word maybe that's their way of telling you they know you're stealing from them they're giving you like a bootleg screen yeah (laughs) to say like hey knock it off I, I'm I'm paying for Shutter twice over, and I don't even want to get into why that's the case. So, uh, Allie, you can you can you can just consider like your account like the one that I'm paying for. Like, this well, the way I look at it is the person whose Shutter I'm on, they're on my Disney Plus, mm. and they're also on my Discovery Plus. But we we don't talk about that. I definitely don't have Discovery Plus, and I definitely don't watch so many reality shows. Just all the time. like we get Discovery Plus. We do. Allie, There's like, it's like 80 percent 90 day fiance. And I'm like, so here for it. You were fine when you mentioned Shudder. The <laughs> moment you mentioned Disney Plus, you think the mouse didn't hear that? Like he's coming for us all now. You've he's sitting right all. here and he is pissed. He is pissed. He's mad. No, I'm kidding. He's he's busy dealing with all the crackpots in Florida right now. We're fine. Um, <sighs> anyway. So oh, I'm good to go. I'm good sorry. Deal. I held everybody else up. <laughs> so how is everybody watching this? Are we doing DVD, Blu-ray, uh, shut, which weirdly enough, I don't even think the movie is available on Shutter in the U.S. I had to uh, ha! Ha! on Prime it out here. So I uh, bought it on Shutter Prime, like streaming. Like, you know, you get channels. That's oh, on Prime. Yeah. Rob, Paul, Prime how about Prime. you? Uh, I have the Blu-ray. Okay. Of course you do. I have the Blu-ray too. It's somewhere wow. in storage. Uh, uh, yeah, hanging out with my woman in black two Angel of Death Blu-ray. They're just they're peas in a pod right now, wherever the hell they are in uh, like twelve boxes. It's fine. Oh, well, I'll I will say. Yeah. Oh, sorry. 
I was just going to no. say, I will say at the very least, this time, this movie had already been opened. So it wasn't mm. like an unwrapped movie oh. on my shelf, like like so many other movies that are there. I had watched it before. <laughs> All right, gang, let's go ahead and advance it to the very first frame of the film. We should all be at zero, 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 zero. The first thing we're going to see is the CBS Films logo pop up and then about 27 other production company logos after that, including Hammer's. So let's go ahead and cue it up. We're going to do a countdown. We're going to press play all at once. Everyone here in five, four. Hello? Oh, Jinx. Jinx? Jinx, you cut out. God damn it, Jinx. (laughs) That scared me so much. I thought I cut out. I thought thought he was doing the TV countdown thing. I (laughs) mean, too. It was a terrifying moment for some You don't say two or one, so I was like, are we doing it? Oh, there he is. That was terrifying. That doesn't work on an audio podcast, Jinx. It does. See your fingers. God damn it, Jinx. You're joking. <laughs> that was really scary. Oh shit! What happened? Did we? We we did I drop I could, out? We couldn't hear. Yeah, you cut out in the middle of your countdown. <laughs> oh fuck. Okay, yeah, everybody, back to one. Uh, I will cut all of this. Probably okay. I'm seeing poor connection now. Can you all hear me? Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're good. Okay. Well, let's try this one more time. Man, I was riffing on the CBS logos thing and everything. Yeah, it's fun. It's <laughs> oh, we missed your comedic goal. I'm sure it was a classic riff. We'll, we'll get back what? to it. I'm hearing judgment from all sides. <clears throat> it's fine. Whatever. All right, let's do this. <clears throat> okay, everyone, let's go ahead and press play here in five, four, three, two, one, and play. And here we go. Oh, nice. And as always, you know it's New Hammer based on the amount of companies it took to pay for it. Yeah, I got a nice E1 logo right there. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Canadian? Queens? The E1? I feel like. Yeah. Yeah, good. Yes, that's us. That's and they're going, they're going full Marvel with the hammer, right? I know, I it's so good. Love, yeah, I like love it so love, much. Love, love, also, that. does yours say award-winning funds or award-winning oh, yeah. funds from the National? Okay, I'm... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. This... It felt like a weird pop up, like when you're watching like cable TV and like an ad for another thing comes up. You on win it. funds. Make a movie. <laughs> Make you movie win. now. Fund. <laughs> I wish. I will click. In the uh, commentary, the director James Watkins and the screenwriter Jane Goldman spent like two full minutes just like <clears throat> heaping love on the hammer logo, which I thought was awesome. They're just like, this is so great. It's just like Marvel. <laughs> That's funny. How does it compare to the OG? Um, you mean like the, yeah, the OG hammer logo. It, I mean, oh! the, the, not much. Not a lot <laughs> going on. Not it, a lot going well, on. there was, there were every title really, card was different back in the day. Yeah, it, they didn't really have a, a thing. It was mm. always different based on the film, and and it changed throughout the years and they didn't put a ton of effort into that although the font in brides of dracula is a high point in all of cinema oh i would believe that Hmm. can we just before we get into the production of the movie can we just take two seconds to heap love upon marco beltrami and his score oh yeah oh yeah Yeah. hot damn he kills it with this score and also the uh the score to the sequel too for the longest time people uh I, I'm dating myself here going all the way back to the 90s, but I just remember uh, haunting message boards back in the day and everyone accusing Beltrami of only being able to do Scream. And um, 
And, you know, I, you know, I, I think there for a time, like, he definitely, he did the Beltrami thing, but I'm so glad he eventually sort of spread his wings because, man, he can, he can deliver, yeah. uh, especially when it comes to horror scores. And I think his work in this movie is maybe his best. He's a king. Well, and it, the music, more so than almost anything in the plot, is what immerses you into the grief the film is so concerned with mm-hmm. and the sense of loss. Like, and it's so difficult for just sound to evoke those types of emotions before <laughs> you even have any kind of register for what type of movie you're going to see. Well, you also get fully immersed in the CGI smog and smoke. It really That's takes true. you right That's in there. That's true. That's very true. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of real smog. <laughs> of what? A lot of CGI. It reminds me of real smog. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. With that little bit of green, you're like, mm, I have oh, asthma. That's perfect. A little grainy. That's how I always use smog. Mm. That's oh, my there, one there thing is. about this movie that I wish was different. Uh, the amount of digital enhancement that's mm-hmm. on a lot of the frames kind of takes away from what is ascent- what is otherwise very impressive production design. Yeah, it's very, like, what, 2012 of it all? Like, at the time, definitely didn't feel that way, but you feel it yeah. now. Yeah, mm-hmm. looking uh, it's it. It's such a, I mean... It's such a well-made movie, but it's also such a wonderfully handcrafted movie that when that CG does come in, it's it stands out, I think, all the more. It's just... Oh, yeah. I, I do want to talk a little bit right now because – so this is the first time anyone has seen Daniel Radcliffe outside of Harry Potter. Yes, I think about that a lot. And that image was the first thing you see of him, and he's basically shaving which I think is really interesting because it's basically like, how do we make him like an adult? <laughs> you know, how do, yeah, we, that's cool. how do we separate him from boyhood? Um, and we open on a shot of him, you know, sort of shaving and, and in a, his eyes are very piercing and there's definitely a, a grown up nature to that image. And I, I think that's, I think that's very purposeful and, and it, it I, I like that it's a bit of a risk to put him in a role like this at that time. Um, and, mm-hmm. and I like that they, they took it because it shows, you know, he, he's a very powerful performer, mm-hmm. um, and he does a lot of great work in this movie. Yeah. yeah. What you said, and also prepare to hear me thirst for him in this entire film. He's never been hotter. <laughs> and That's fair. That's totally fair. Definitely like in my top five, all my top five are very like gaunt, tired looking Brits. And like, he really epitomizes that. <laughs> Okay, so by this point in Hammer's history, we, okay, so Josh, we've been into New Hammer for three films now. This is film number four. And by this point, Hammer had already returned with a full core film, a modern vampire story, and a mini Hitchcock. And now we finally have a film that really sort of returns to uh, Hammer's gothic horror roots in earnest. And, uh, I just I, I can't tell you what a thrill it was seeing this movie in theaters and knowing that and feeling that, you know. Oh, I, I remember it. it was an event. It's my favorite kind of horror too. this kind of gothic horror. My favorite <laughs> film of all time is Sleepy Hollow. And this yes. really brings oh, that yeah. energy. Oh, my God, it's so good. I love Sleepy this Hollow. This is yeah. you are absolutely right. This brings the Sleepy Hollow energy full tilt. Full stop. Full stop. <clears throat> did did everybody. So did everyone here see this in theaters then? I did. Yeah. That's awesome. Is this the first one of these that we've all, like, everyone on the cast had seen when it came out in theaters? I, I don't, I can't think of another one that that's true for. I it. think so, yeah. Wow, I'm so proud to be here for that. Yeah, I, well, I think that speaks to um, 
the this the power of this film the sticking power of it at the time even like because this was the first one that was really successful too mm-hmm. you know this made like 130 million dollars like this was you know mm-hmm. all of the other films they had yeah. made were generally unsuccessful even but their new except for let me in I guess. star like they casted daniel Radcliffe. they knew they were getting the oh yeah when they got when they got daniel they knew for sure yeah and it was a pretty uh, low budget right it was around 15 million yeah, it wasn't huge. Um, yeah, he likes taking on an art house. I mean, this that's ginormous for the UK. I feel like this is like yeah. their Marvel. And he uh, yeah. he reportedly read the Woman in Black screenplay the day after he finished filming the final Harry Potter, like the day after. He and was this so was ready. The... He was ready to not be. He was like fuck. Wizards. <laughs> he was like, I know what's gonna happen with JK yeah. Rowling. I'm leaving now. Yeah, I'm I'm walking. You probably saw the writing on the Just wall kidding. with that oh. one. Yeah, yeah, I was gonna say. And and he brought Kieran Hines with him. He brought uh Albert Forth Dumbledore along for the ride. I love who? Kieran Hines. Who which who's he? Who? Uh you know, like what? <laughs> okay, just so we're clear, like I only Kieran. saw the like I was forced to watch the Harry Potter films like Hung oh. College, and I thought like, oh, I've been thinking they were uncool since they so, were. So, <laughs> uh, this is, I guess, my moment of shame these days. But uh, growing up, I was a gigantic <laughs> uh, uh, Harry Potter fan, very obsessive too. with the books. Um, yeah. And uh, uh, I was in. I loved the movies. I went and saw all of them a bunch of times. But anyway, oh, yeah. Kieran Hines, who plays Samuel or Sam in this movie, played Aberforth Dumbledore in the final two films. Oh, so um, his butt passed away because didn't the first Dumbledore die no well, it's his, was... his brother it's it's right Elvis's right right, brother right. Who, like, helps the, them in the, the bad house, boy like in the bar sneak into like uh-huh. using the painting to sneak back into the school like yeah with sister he trauma uses a painting yeah there's yeah. a lot of drama in harry potter there's a lot of stuff that was cut out from the book that makes it really confusing in the movie <laughs> but like yes him. he's 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 in the movie for about five minutes and he has a little speech but um, and it's worth noting too, Kieran Hines. I mean, like yeah, Road to Perdition, uh, uh, Munich, uh, Miami Vice. No, there would I, be blood. I know. Ghost Rider: Spirit of Vengeance, Julius Caesar in Rome. The I terror, was just bringing like, that up because we're talking no, no, no. about Harry Potter. No, no. Oh, I right, see him on the right. terror like, poster in my mind. Okay, but I'm just saying, like Kieran Hines, like is is a marvelous actor, and uh, he. I don't think he gets enough credit for how damn good he is. It was uh it was a treat. It was one of the few good moments uh during the Academy Awards build up to it when uh he got a little love for being in I think it was Kenneth Branagh's Belfast, which is a movie I haven't seen yet, but he is he is excellent. And as a matter of fact, the entire cast here is so damn good. Yeah. Everybody's great. That is uh, even even like somebody like uh uh the nanny who sadly I think in the credits is only referred to as the nanny. Okay, rude. Uh, that Rick, I know. Give her a name. Like, give her yeah, a name. it's Fran uh, Drescher. Hello. Yeah, <laughs> yeah God. Get it She's, right. Uh, Get it because she was good. That was good. Thank you. Look how tired and sexy he is. And look how cute that dog is. I know. Oh, I couldn't cute. stop looking at that dog when I rewatched in the, it. Earlier today. In the in the commentary, they talked about how poorly behaved the dog was. I was thinking how good he seemed like a, like a boy. <laughs> you can see Hines holding him by scene, his throat. You know? Well, actually, that it's funny sense. you mentioned that. He talked about how Kieran Hines had to, like, really grip the dog, like, <laughs> super hard. And then he's like, look closely, he's holding him very tight. Wow, fire very the good. dog. Get a new dog. Just give him a squeeze to keep him in his place. Do you think yeah. he's um, still with us? 
No, so one in, of the uh, the nanny was played by Jessica Rain, who is a marvelous actress who was in, among other things. Is anybody here a Doctor Who fan at all? I I, I like Matt Smith. Okay, I've seen enough. some of that. <laughs> Has anyone here seen an adventure in space and time? It was made for the uh, 50th anniversary, and it was basically like a biopic, but about the making of Doctor Who, like how it originated. If I didn't watch the show, I definitely didn't watch that. Um, okay, fair. <laughs> Jessica Rain played uh, a woman named Verity Lambert, who was the youngest drama producer at the BBC when Doctor Who was created, and she was the uh, she was the only female drama producer by that point as well, I think. And if you get the chance to watch it, like her performance is in it is amazing, and she's also in this incredible episode of uh, Inside Number Nine called The Devil of Christmas, which will. Uh, it's so clever and so creepy, and then the ending will—it'll—it'll uh, it'll fuck up your day. But it's I feel like that's a good up. drag yeah. name, the devil, the what? Devil the devil of Christmas. Yeah, can that be my drag name? Ooh, yes, please. I'll I come think it should be. It's—it's it's a good one. Like I'm like a spooky drag queen, though. Oh, I love a spooky drag queen. By the way, it's just want to point the out, best kind. Mm. We are currently in a hammer pub. I feel like it's been a while. <gasps> it has been Whoa, so long. Oh, is that a thing for this? Because I like that. Yeah, we. <laughs> I. Man, um, it has been a long time since we've been in a Hammer Pub. Yeah. One of these true. New things. With, with a surly Hammer Pub sort of attendee. Attendant, mm-hmm. Which is, what do we think about the minor bird in this movie um, that sort of imitates language? I, like, what? don't buy it. I'm like, that's, you're not, you're not really, that's not you, bitch. That's how I feel. That's how I feel about the bird. Only one bird is allowed to talk. Yeah. The, uh, the screenwriter... Uh, talked about in the in the in her commentary that her initial intention was that um, his wife was had a minor bird, and so the appearance of the minor uh-huh. birds throughout the movie was supposed to be sort of a, a constant sort of callback or reminder to her, and like allowing her presence to sort of persevere throughout his world. So minor birds would keep popping up, but they ended up sort of nixing that subplot. But there's still a little bit of it sort of in the film. It's kind of interesting. That's oh. cute. I do like that. Really cute. Mm-hmm. Not in, as cute as him, though. Sorry. So cute. No. In my, I mean, like, nothing is. Uh, <laughs> in my very vague research that I did for this movie, because I was like, if Danny Rack was going to be in this, I want to just learn more. <laughs> I have some really fun quotes that he has said in regards to Hammer films. And I'm just going to share them with you because I never bring shit to the table. Um, so... They asked if he uh, was if whether or not he was paying tribute to Peter Cushing or Christopher Lee. He responded with, absolutely. Peter Cushing was the center of all those films around which chaos could develop. So, yes, if I wasn't actually paying tribute, I was certainly aware that had this film had been made in a different time, Peter Cushing would have been a part of it. Oh, do we so, do we use this as the moment to to cast it up? Are we casting it? Let's cast it. <laughs> Jeez. Right, but we have to. Here's one thing we've gotten hung up on before: Do we cast '60s or do we cast '70s? Uh, Ali, you choose. You were talking, and I interrupted um, after your first thought. I don't know, but now that I know that he's paying homage to Cushing, that's all I can see now. He's giving. So you think Cushing would have been uh, would have been Arthur in a younger time? Yes. So let's say, okay, so let's say late 50s. Let's say oh. it was The Curse of Frankenstein, The Horror of Dracula, and then The Woman in Black, even though it predates the writing of the novel by, like, 
25 years, something like that. Let's just let's just go with that and let's uh let, okay, so Ali says Cushing for Arthur and I think that's perfect. So who plays Sam? Who has to be like the kindly older gentleman? Hmm. Yeah. Dumb this is hard. Play. At that time period, that's a hard thing. That's a hard Oh my thing. god. Uh I know. Who uh, who played uh Ah uh, fuck. Uh da, 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 da. not not Quatermass from Quatermass and the Pit. Quatermass from Quatermass oh. one and two. Quatermass experiment. That guy. Uh, uh mm. only he'd really have to try hard not to be an asshole because he, he brings the asshole as Quatermass in those movies. He, he would have to so this guy kind of looks well, like him who's on screen right now. And it's that. funny though, Jinx, because Andrew Keir is like a 30 year old man was able to pull off like a 60 year old man. So he also could have <laughs> been that character. <laughs> Fair enough. I feel like that's all British people though. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You're not wrong. <laughs> uh, whoever played the reptile a few years down the line, like not Barbara Shelley, but the actual physical performance is totally Janet. Like it's totally the woman in mm. black. Yeah, mm. I think she would cut like an amazing figure uh, as that character. Uh, where do we where do we put Christopher Lee? Because he's got to be in here somewhere. Ooh, yeah, he could be. Um, well, if if you went by, if you changed it a little bit and made uh, the firm a bigger part of the movie, like it is in the original, you yeah. could make him the guy who heads up the firm. Oh my god! Like, well, yeah, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I got really excited that Will Benson is here. Wait, what? Oh, yeah. It's the fisherman oh from Minot yeah, last summer. <laughs> Can I cast him as that guy? That's uh, yes. Okay, sorry. Thank Wait you. a minute. Benson. 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 <laughs> so Josh and I, it's worth noting that last night we were actually brainstorming potential, uh, I know what you did last summer, sequel ideas, and we felt like uh, rather than having Ben Willis come back like will benson needed to have had a son before he died mm -hmm. and so he's the one who wreaks uh, havoc as the fisherman in the new movie but his last name has to be wilson because mm -hmm. yeah. will's son do you get it you get it but i also want there to be ben's son? grandson somehow but i also want him to own a company called <laughs> my name is ben's ben's grandson. <laughs> yeah i'm grandson uh, don't you get it <laughs> Why do you I know here? it's a shock. Why do you live here? This is like, how do you get like allergy medication if you live there? You just die. Get out you of there. Don't want to live like, you, Yeah, you don't live there very long. Are 50 years old. They're all going to die soon. <laughs> That's true. You just go there and you wait to die. Yeah. yeah. I, I do think it's a, a terrifying concept. Like this, this causeway that you know, opens and closes. And not only that, but that it's, it's surrounded by this impenetrable, like quicksand mud Ooh. that just swallows you whole. If you yeah. touch it, you know, like yeah. it just a horrifying concept. Yeah. Like th 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 the idea that anybody would ever make a house like surrounded by that stuff and then have children there. It's perfect uh, is for just... the COVID era. Yeah. It is. True. Also their basement. Leak all the time. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, they're, they're British, they're used to it. Everything's covered damn. in black mold. Oh, yeah. If you get the chance, there's a uh, this amazing television series that ran for, uh, well, it wasn't a series, it was like a mini series called The Sixth Day. 
uh, on HBO Max, and it is, I think it might even Isn't be shot a, in the Arnold exact same movie. movie. No, no. <laughs> it is. No. He's a clone or a twin or something, you know. No, it has uh, He's a clone. Classic and, Arnold Twope. It's kind of like a classic folk horror setup. I won't say too much about it, but it feels Wicker Manny at times, but very oh. modern. And it is set on an island that has a very similar causeway. In fact, I'm not sure that they didn't shoot on the exact same island. But um, yeah, I mean, it's it's a great conceit where it's like, well, once you're there, you can only escape, you know, uh, by this time. Otherwise, you are pretty much stuck there for hours and hours. And oh, wow. Uh, wow. I love that idea. Wow, That's the running man sounds buried. so different. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, I thought they might have been shot in the same place as the original, but in the original, there's like no woods around the house. The house is just this house in the middle of this marsh. Ugh, it's just scary. emptiness and stark. Couldn't trees for this. Yeah, maybe that is possible. Yeah. <laughs> there's certainly no cemetery or anything in the original. Also, it's just sort of this manor that's there. He just like um, walked into the house, and I have to say, I would buy it immediately. This is I my would new buy home. it. I don't care if it's like you can only get there once a day, and it's surrounded by smog. And no, that's ideal. That's ideal. That's what I want. That's what I want. Yeah. We're gonna move there. I'll take the one of the wings, and you can have the rest of the house. Exactly. It'll be beautiful. We'll meet in the middle for dinner. I'm oh like, my god! Wait, at very long ends of the table, COVID safe. Yeah. Like Batman. And we'll yes. wander around yes. the house with our candelabras. Oh, my God. And I'll always be in, like, a frilly nightgown. And I'll be, like, moaning oh, for Charles. my dead husband. Charles. Charles. <laughs> Charles. Why did you leave me, Charles? Charles. <laughs> Why did it's you a good name for us? a dead husband. Charles. Yeah. Fuck all of you. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, um, I find it hard to believe that a person was living here up until, like, a week ago. Like, yeah, this place is not successfully. She gave the maid the decade off. Yeah. Oh my God, uh, the sink just pooped. Yeah. What were your showers <laughs> like if the water is uh, is in that state? Did they have showers Fine back things. then? I feel like first no, came the car and then came the shower. Yeah, yeah. they had yeah, bathtubs. You had to warm up your own water on the stove. And well, what's no. weird to me is the original. The house has electricity. Well, they have cars oh, in this so era. That means they had like a crank that could give it electricity. <laughs> Oh, that and in this one, they sort of cut that out, which makes sense to me. I get why they would yeah, not mm-hmm. want it to have electricity. Uh, Can I know right here that this is, and I don't, I wanted to ask you all, have, has anyone here read the novel? No, but I've seen the play. Does that count? I wanted to ask you about that. that building up the back. Okay, I'm so I'm, sorry. I'm, I'm so sorry. Go back. No, 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 go back. You're good. You're good. You're good. I'm, I'm, I'm leading up to asking you about that because I'm fascinated with this. I love this franchise and there there is certainly enough media here to call it a franchise there's oh, yeah. uh there's oh, a novel yeah. there's a sequel novel that's actually just an adaptation of an early draft of the script to the sequel film to the sequel to the hammer film that is there are the two hammer films there was a tv film there are two radio adaptations like uh and there is like this insanely popular play which we'll get to here in a second but um the novel was written in 1983 by Susan Hill, which is weird to me because it feels like something that should have been. It feels like a piece of authentic Victorian, yeah, like 1883. You know, yeah, exactly. Mm. It totally should have been that instead. But also uh, by a Susan Hill, that's very 1883 name to me. Totally. Yeah, she is. Uh, she is best known for her gothic works, and um, yeah, as Paul noted at the beginning, like the novel, and you know, it differs quite a bit from its adaptations by. Uh, having Kip survive its ending, um, you know, although, Paul, I think you noted the uh, the TV film The Wife Survives and is actually present throughout the course of the story, whereas 
in the book, unlike both film adaptations, uh, Kips lives. Like, he survives the uh, the events, but um, tragedy still befalls him in various ways. But, um, yes. Yeah, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, uh, the novel was then adapted as a three-actor play in 1987 by a guy named Stephen Malatrat. Uh, it was originally staged at Theatre by the Sea at Scarborough before moving to Fortune Theatre in London's West End, where it continues to play until this day. It is the second longest-running play in London's West End, which I think is amazing. Josh, please tell us everything about this play. It, like, really had a big influence on me. I saw it when I was, like, 17, and I went to London for the first time, only time. And they put it in, like, the spookiest, creakiest, oldest, most British theater you could ever imagine. And, I don't know, it it really, like, uh, awakened something spooky in me, honestly. It, like, had a real big influence on me creatively. And it's why I was so excited for the film. I, I You gotta find a way to go. They They really... It's so spooky and beautiful. Oh, wow. I, it's uh, a real vibe. Here to Toronto. I'd love to see that. That's I know. Amazing. When he said Scarborough, were you like triggered? Ellie? Every single time, anytime London says any of the names that we have here, I'm always like, oh, we have one of those. Yeah, but <laughs> ours is worse. <laughs> it's like really shitty. <laughs> yeah, Scarborough's like, Scarborough's like sort of infamous neighborhood in Toronto. Yeah. Josh, I did want to ask you, can you talk a little bit about the setup? Of the play, which is quite different from any other version of the story. Ooh, well, it was 2007, and I have smoked a lot of pot since then. <laughs> would, would would you but, like me to take it, or do you? Yeah, want maybe to... you should. I do remember okay. it was would you, like a two or three hander. Um, it is okay. So it's three actors, but only two are credited. And the idea behind it is that, much like the original novel, Kipps is alive. He is much older. He is remarried. And uh, something basically brings up these bad memories and he basically wants to tell his story. Now, in the novel, he basically sets his thoughts down on paper. In the play, what I think is kind of brilliant is that it opens with an older Kipps having hired an actor to actually perform a dramatization of the story. And Mm -hmm. so you have these two guys who are essentially playing the same man, but the older Kipps plays everyone else in the story and he narrates, whereas the younger actor plays the young Kips and Mm. the two of them basically just tell the story and act it out with one another. But then lurking throughout the audience is the woman in black herself, like creaking and creeping around in the darkness, just always ever present. And uh, it's funny. Apparently I was doing a little bit of research. Uh, I didn't realize this, but the book is actually taught in British schools and many weekly matinees of the play are usually booked by schools for their uh, cool. their young students to attend. And I just, I love that. Nice. Jealous. Jealous. Um, awesome. I like that that takes the meta approach. It's like the stab three version of the woman in black. Yeah. Yes. Not this. Not the stab eight. Don't, don't, don't make me twitch. No, uh, not the stab eight. No, not, not. Yeah. No. I, I feel like are I you heard talking about Ryan stab- Johnson's stab eight. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, here's the CGI. Oh, yeah, get that fog. He's in disappearing there. into the CGI. Still looking beautiful. Oh, so handsome. Such a nice grayscale. Yeah, <laughs> such a handsome outline. It's such a handsome outline. Oh, there he's he is. So, like, oh, he's beautiful. Something um, about like a pale, pale man with dark hair and blue eyes. I don't know. It's 
British. I'm into that's it. why I really love that Frankenstein movie with James McAvoy. Oh, that sounds correct. The, it's sta- a stage play, right? No, it's a movie. Oh, then I don't know. Wait, it's, what was it? Uh, Victor Frankenstein. Oh, that movie's a blast. Yeah, he's it's him and like. Uh, Daniel Radcliffe, McAvoy. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, <gasps> real cute British men. Yeah, Daniel Radcliffe actually plays uh, Igor, I believe. Uh, I never saw that. One. That sounds correct. Should I check that it's out? It's I avoided all, it. It is. It is honestly like an honest to goodness Hammer film on really? speed and steroids. Yeah. No. But in a good I heard way. I heard it was bad, but I guess I was you know everyone I, everyone I remember said it was leading bad. up to it. Everyone was pissing on it because of Max Landis and fair, oh, but fair. it's not fair. the movie's fault. And apparently, according to Landis, Landis didn't care for the finished film because it deviated oh, from well. a script. So hey, all the more reason go. to watch it. <clears throat> that uh, that yeah, I'll check it out. I yeah, I'll put it on my list. Um, back to the fun quotes I have from Daniel Radcliffe. I have. <laughs> uh, which I was going to say immediately afterwards, then we got to, like, casting the movie again. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Sorry. What, he was asked about um, the topic of Hammer film productions, and he said, the Hammer banner is wonderful. It's a fantastic thing for me, particularly because I have been in the British film industry all my life. And if you're not... If you're not working with people who actually worked on the Hammer films, you're working with their kids. The person who did all my makeup on the Potter movies, her dad, Eddie Knight, did all the original Hammer makeup. So growing up in the industry in England, you're always very aware of those films and the importance that they had and what they did for the industry. It's also great because we can push horror a little more because Hammer's there. We can have this go back to old standards of creepy toys and haunted houses and all kinds of things that reoccur. And it's because Hammer, no one questions it. He's not wrong. I mean, love it. It's a good point. We just saw Can three. I... Uh huh. Oh no, I was just going to say real quick. I love Radcliffe's. Uh, his. We should talk about him at length. I mean, we have, but we should talk about his performance at length because he is so damn good in this film. And that last scene is such a great. Just the moment he has when they say that the young girl has uh has just you know ingested lie plus yeah. And just the it, it could have been so easy for an actor to overperform that moment. And instead, just the way he plays it, it's just subtle yeah. enough, but it's terrifying yeah. enough too that you realize like what what that means. If you don't already know what it would mean for somebody ingesting lie. But I mean, mm-hmm. his face would tell you like, oh, shit, he's terrified. She's, yeah, she's done for. Are you guys familiar yeah. with the Gashley Crumb Tinies? Uh, is no. that the, uh, the the Edward Gorey picture book? Yes, I have an Edward Gorey story, but go ahead. Yeah, so Edward Gorey published this picture book, and it's the alphabet, but every letter of the alphabet is a child that dies in a very strange and obscure way. Oh, I do know the book. Yeah, yeah. It, it's yeah. incredible. I recommend it. And this movie just basically is an adaptation of it. I believe one of the kids <laughs> dies of lie. And also one of the kids just dies of ennui, which is very funny. Ennui? <laughs> I remember I, that oh, would almost wow. have to be a. Uh, I have to check that out. That sounds oh, a direct I, I reference. I really want. Crazy. I hope that you do. What's the uh, other thing again? Say, Edward say Gorey. Edward uh, Gorey, the Gashley Crumb Tinies, and okay. it's like funny, but it, yeah, it's definitely twenty-six ways of children dying, and it's. Jeez, all right. I'm gonna incredible. I'm gonna get that. I'm gonna find. <laughs> you should it, honestly you, you anything. Won't regret it. Gorey's work is brilliant. Uh, I remember when. 
everybody remembers Ginger Snaps, of course, especially the two Canadians here. I like, was going to say, you yeah. do? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I remember um, they were referred to in a review back in the day. At, no, I'm sorry. It was the uh, director, John Fawcett. He referred to them both, uh, Ginger and Bridget, as these kind of Edward Gorey girls. And oh. being a massive Ginger Snaps fan, I was like, what the fuck does that mean? And so I looked it up and I kind of fell in love with this guy's artwork, who honestly, like if Tim Burton wasn't spoon-fed edward gory artwork when he was a kid like it just nothing makes sense anymore but um <laughs> mm-hmm. no there was this uh so i am from uh southern ohio it's i'm a stone's throw away from this town called ironton it's a very tiny town not much interesting happens there it's just basic small town america but there's this one amazing place there it's called a uh, woodland cemetery and this is like a it's not even a cemetery it's this sprawling like metropolis that has gravestones dating all the way back to the civil war and before and it's there are beautiful mausoleums there's like this uh there's this russian ballerina who was buried there for whatever reason she had married someone in the area and moved there and so there's this in, in a very small like iron town like iron workers town like that's you know just basic river town in southern ohio like there is this massive marble uh mausoleum devoted solely to her standing in the middle of it and then there is a uh there's a ghost story revolving around a uh, a statue of a woman who was uh killed when she was in her early 30s by an abusive husband and um he, she was apparently slapped repeatedly until she fell down a flight of stairs and when you actually visit the statue, it has clearly been weathered over the course of a hundred years, except for this handprint on her cheek, which is still oh. like perfectly smooth and polished. I did a documentary on it once in college uh, and had a blast. Also, she was reportedly pregnant when she died. And if you put your hand on her belly, it heats up. It's 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 wow. It's all true. It's very woman uh, in black vibes. Yeah, exactly. Uh, all this to say, uh, interesting, interesting cemetery in an uninteresting town. But I never would have expected this. A couple of years ago, it was discovered that Edward Gorey had been in the area. He had lived in the area for a time. His parents were from roughly around the same area. And his mother was ultimately buried there. So when he passed away, even for his money and his fame and all of that, he requested to be buried basically in his mother's grave, like his ashes. And so the grave was partly exhumed and his remains were laid to rest there within his mother's grave as well. And he doesn't even have his own headstone there. And I just thought that that was a fascinating way for, you know, this guy to have, uh, you know, to sort of have gone out. Boy. I love that. And suitably, suitably, not creepy, but suitably macabre, I think, in a way. I don't M- Macabre's yeah. the right word for him, yeah, for sure. It does sound oh, fitting. Romantic. There's a lady that's on screen now that I'm obsessed with. Maybe my favorite character in this movie. The chair? <laughs> yeah. The lady that, like, thinks her dogs are her dead kid. It's it's dark, but it makes me Who's laugh. Who's to say they bit. aren't? I mean, not me. <laughs> If there was oh. such thing as like a Hammer cinematic universe, like an HCU, like if they hmm. were to bring Dracula and Frankenstein and like all those characters back, I would want her to pop up from oh, time yeah. to time. Oh, yeah. You know? To, to sort of, yeah, be like a harbinger of sorts. <gasps> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. The, the Colby Smolders 
of of yeah. this universe. Yes, oh, 100 yes, percent Not quite please. Nick Fury, but but you know, kind of there. We're good. Better. She, she shows up after the credits to tell every character, like Peter Cushing's Van Helsing, she's putting together a team. <laughs> <laughs> I know you're joking. <laughs> I don't want but, anything more in my entire life. <laughs> yes. Uh, um, Paul, you mentioned the director earlier, uh, James Watkins, yeah. who did two genre films prior to this. He did this great yeah. underseen movie called My Little Eye, which is a uh, it's found. Fo- well, it's not really a found footage movie. It's a it's a device movie, as it were. It's uh, the entire film is told solely through like security cameras on the grounds of this. Uh, it, has anybody seen it? But because I, I have, I saw it in much. theaters. Okay. Wow. Really? Okay. Yeah. That's impressive. I, I think it was DVD only here in the States, but um, very, very young Bradley Cooper in it. Um, it has a hell of a cast, actually. And it's, it's kind of like it's a, a classic. I haven't seen it. I need to see this. Oh, you got to see it. I? It's great. It's it is kind of pre so found footage, kind of a slasher, kind of like a house on Haunted Hill vibe, too. Huh. Mm. Total. It's like it has a big brother set up. Yes. Like, it. hey, we have all of these, uh, you know, all these young people and let's put them in a location and we're going to film them and they're going to be eliminated one by one and blah, blah, blah. And then they stop getting fed. And then they, you know, in place of food, there are like weapons that are left behind. And then mm. you realize that things turn very sinister. And uh, then a stranger shows up and the stranger is Bradley Cooper before Bradley Cooper was Bradley Cooper. And uh, it's very, very good, but it's very much a found footagey kind of film that honestly, Josh, like you noted, one of the first. I mean, this wasn't long after uh, Blair Witch and, uh, nope. you know, other movies of that ilk. So, uh, but yeah, Watkins directs the hell out of it. He also did Eden Lake with uh, oh, God. Kelly oh, Riley and right. uh, Michael Fassbender and the uh, the most depressing ending you've ever seen. I was going to say happy, happy yeah. movie. But this is a guy, I mean, talk about that man's range as a director. He did a found footage horror movie. He did this brutal, like, survival film. And then he did a gothic ghost story. And motherfucker knocked it out of the park with every try. And yet, where is he? Like, why this movie was a massive success. Where was his next big movie after this? Like, I'm fascinated by that dude's career where he puts in amazing work. His last major film was a huge hit, and this is, it? This is the last major film. I, I think so. Like on this level, yeah, I think he's done some television since, but nothing. Uh, nothing. Did, um, uh-huh. Oh, sorry. He, he's he's doing a lot of British TV right now, but he did do the take in 2016 with Idris Elba. That was like what a is, decently. Budgeted I have not movie. heard of that. I haven't heard of that either. Uh, it's <gasps> like a oh, that was a thriller, day, right? CIA. I like it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Bestial Day is mm-hmm. the other title. Like a ter- like you know, like a guy taking on terrorists type of movie. Uh, very like mass crime that. thriller. That's definitely not for me. <laughs> me neither. No, yeah, it's it's not. <laughs> I'm my sorry. Thing. Did we did we not hear Paul say Idris Elba? Like, come on. Uh, I mean, but, yeah, little so. little respect. Come on, just. A bit. I love Idris Elba. I'll watch him in most stuff. Yeah, but when you're, I don't know. Once you hear terrorism, that's too. Yeah, I don't care about movie terrorism. For me. Yeah, me neither. I mean, I care yeah. about it in a political world sense, like in the real life, but not in a film sense. <laughs> so out there, can't I mean, not like, like in a in so a lame. in a Jack Bauer twenty four kind of way. Uh, no, <laughs> so many spooky dolls in this movie, and I'm not complaining. Wow, his eyelashes are long. 
and they are all real. Uh, they were not yeah, uh, designed yeah. by the production. They were actually real antiques. I thought you were talking about his eyelashes. I did too, and I was like, <laughs> <laughs> those eyelashes are all real. But they are, and I'm so jealous having these little stubby eyelashes. I have stubby nubs too. Ugh, really I'm so jealous of men it. who have naturally beautiful eyelashes. It's wrong. Men shouldn't have nice eyelashes. I no. have kind of long eyelashes. Okay. Yeah. I have I remarkable have eyelashes. Eyelash. I just I'll bat them at everyone. I don't care. Like doll oh, doll cutter eyelashes. Ugh, how dare you? How dare all of you? <laughs> <laughs> By the way, did we all know that this movie was initially meant to be in 3D? Yeah. yeah. Crazy. Ew. Really? Announced in November of 2009. Yeah, it would have been right before. Well, it was announced in 2009, so this was actually before, like, uh, My Bloody Valentine 3D and some of the other horror movies that were capitalizing on that trend that had been started by, what was it like, kids movies like Journey yeah. to the Center of the Earth and Beowulf and stuff like. Well, not the Beowulf. Beowulf is not so, a kids movie. Yeah, I know, no, no. But yeah, My no, Bloody yeah, Valentine uh, 3D was one of the first. Yeah, but what? Post- I mean, Avatar was the thing that. Well, what's that? 3D. <laughs> and then, uh, oh, it's this little movie. Like uh, in, a little blue indie. Do you remember yeah. the director of Piranha 2, The Spawning? Do you remember Yes. Yeah. yeah, he yes. he made it, and it's it's fine. It's, it's, it's oh, it. There's going to be four more of them, so you'll probably yeah, I still, for the life of me, cannot understand how Avatar overtook Titanic at the box office. Because Titanic seemed like such a massive cultural moment, and Avatar was just kind of like a, a movie that was popular off? for a few months. That's you know? it. I, I agree with everything you just said. Yeah. Okay, just, but also, if, if this film was supposed to be in 3D, where are the, like, swords coming towards the I, th- I was just thinking, what would be the awkward, like, thing coming at the camera <laughs> yeah. every five minutes? Lots of CG woman in black flying at the camera. Yeah, that's uh, true. Which we already kind of get later on anyway. But, which uh, is my yeah. least favorite stuff in this yeah, movie. That's oh, it's silly. Yeah. yeah. But I think, I, so the one thing I would argue for 3D, because I am admittedly a big 3D fan when it's done correctly. Like, I think uh, the Vincent Price House of Wax 3D is, like, one of it's the great so good. cinema experiences in 3d i also would argue for friday jaws 3d is great Uh, friday the 13th in actual 3d is fucking amazing um so like the depth of field that he creates inside of the house would be pretty cool if handled the right way in 3d like regardless of whether or not things are coming at you like feeling the dimensionality of that space and feeling like anything could be lurking in the shed i think you could do some really interesting things with that um, and I actually think the, uh, CGI fog we keep making fun of would actually look better in 3D. Uh, it would give it a purpose. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. And it, so it feels like maybe that's why that's there in a way, like before they abandoned that concept. I it just wonder, like I, I, <laughs> I did some research. I couldn't figure out at what point they actually did away with the notion of 3D, but I, I can't even imagine that it was. It had to have been before the production even began, right? Because well, it was going to be a post-convert. They weren't going to shoot in 3D. Oh, ew. Okay. So it, it was probably just decided PC. halfway through. Because that was also when 3D was sort of like, they had went all in on 3D, and then it was kind of like backing away at that point, not making I will say, as much money as they thought. One of the best-looking 3D films I've ever seen in a theater, and you can laugh all you want. We we can we can debate the merits of the quality of the film. Uh, I do think it's a fun movie, and I'm a sucker for this franchise. But I'm just talking as far as the 3D. It was shot native, and it looked absolutely stunning. And Paul, to your point about the depth that it might have given the image, like the director definitely plays with it in this. But the fourth Resident Evil movie oh. Oh. is stunningly beautiful in 3D. <laughs> 
Oh my I'm God. just glad you didn't say Final Destination because that's what I thought you were going to say. Oh, that movie was a piece of shit. <laughs> when you said the fourth, I was great. like, oh, no. That like, roller coaster ride goes off. You're like, what is happening? Hey, the roller coaster is three. Yeah. Thank you for calling it out. Yeah, so the third I one was good. <laughs> third one's really good, probably the best, but my favorite's number two. Is that okay? Oh, I think no, two's the two. best. Uh, I love two. Actually, so I think the first two movie is, is probably the best Actually, film. Yeah, I like when people go to bat for number one. Pretty good. I like um, one, I but it's four. I'm not keen on four. I'm I'm so happy that Joshua said number two is his favorite because now I feel seen and validated. <gasps> no, I, mean, I, I would agree with that. But I think there's a difference. You know, it's like we talk about our top ten lists at the end of the year. It's like, well, are we talking best or favorite? Because those can be different things. For me, it's I think favorite. Final Destination is best. I think the second Final Destination movie is easily my favorite. Me too. Yeah, well, it, it is. It builds out the mythology. It like takes it to some really fun places i don't know I love this okay thing. you can be cerebral all you want paul but come on let's cut the brass tacks here log scene log yeah scene. right that's that's one the of scene. the greatest set pieces no one logs in the fogs so no one's great. ever driven down a highway behind one of those trucks <laughs> since that movie came out and i don't care who you are i don't care you've never seen a horror movie without you know. thinking of that scene somehow yep. it's yeah. permeated all of, like the 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 zeitgeist like it's just a thing that everyone thinks of absolutely it more than anything else although i have to say the twist at the end of number five i'm still shaking I'm oh still yeah, shaking. Five yeah was, i'm still five was i'm still shaking look at my hand and five brought really... tony todd back yeah. into the fray which was good they left was... tony todd out of the fray for number four yeah i think yeah. that's and, officially uh, the first i think his his he has like a voiceover at one point. Is that, that four in, or is that that three? was in three? He was yeah. In so three, three he's right. not even in three. He just has a voiceover. Four, I don't think he's in it at all. And then five brings him back, which rightfully so. Well, they're also making a new one, so I'm hoping they bring him back for the new one. They better. They they're better. Too not too yeah, you can't. You I mean, cannot do brought him back. There's Tony no reason why they can't bring him back. Yeah, you have. I mean, you look at four. Look at how terrible it is, and you know what? No, Tony Todd. Okay, that's rude. I we have to at least be (laughs) grateful that it exists. No, well, without four, we wouldn't have five. (laughs) No, it's the movie theater scene in number four, right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then you're in a movie theater. It's like Scream Two all over again. I will say, as much as I enjoy three, um. I could do without it and four all at once, just so we would have that perfect trilogy of one, two, and five. Mm. You'd have to call five something I, else. I, I, I don't know not. that I agree with that because I really like three. I three, think three, three is, three. is, is, is an important Best part sunbathing of scene in any horror oh my, movie. But, but oh my God, I kind love of like, that scene. Three is where it becomes an anthology series, right? It's just kind of like, uh-huh. let's take the basic idea and do this thing. Whereas if you well, kept it at one, two, and five, it's perfect. all the same events. Oh, like yeah. Yeah, you got Justice yeah, you got for her. Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Well, the other thing is three does introduce new mythology, but mm-hmm. the it's just the other two movies don't maintain don't do that, they don't that need, element. These like movies the, do not need mythology. Yeah, I guess not. But it's I always love it. I, 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 I love when too. a story like... I don't know, just creates new rules and shit. I don't know. I just think that's I, I know. I do too. But these I, movies are so batshit that I don't know if they need it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. We watched them all recently. And then... Well, and, and in a way, it makes sense that five wouldn't include it based on what we find out about five. Right. So mm-hmm. really, yeah. It, just... she, that that she really got me. I did not realize it was a period piece. I was <laughs> I got got good. I did too. It got me too. My gosh. I, I watched this movie literally two hours ago. Completely forgot that he took the dog. Yeah, this is dog now. <laughs> Which I think kind of like, first... if you're the dog, are you not thinking like about your owner? Like, thanks a lot, Dick. 
like, like yeah there's a ghost we have to go <laughs> yeah, we did have you to- feel like the dog in this one was a little bit i don't know like in the in the original it makes sense that they that he gets the dog because he doesn't really want to be there he's he's afraid i mean the, mm-hmm. i guess what i'm getting at is the arthur kid character in this movie is kind of drawn to the woman in black because yeah, he loves he's fascinated by the other one because his wife is gone so he kind of he wants to feel connected to the other side he's curious even though he's afraid he's he's driven to understand it in a way which the movie sort of posits is putting all of these children at risk mm-hmm. um but the original film to me and Jinx, if you've seen the original, so maybe you can comment on this and and or maybe how it compares to the play or the book. But in the original, it seems like it's not really Arthur's fault that any of this is happening. In this movie, it feels like, oh, he's sort of causing this by being too curious. Mm-hmm. Mm. Oh, it's, yeah, he's definitely poking and prodding and sort of allowing himself to be enveloped by it. For the reason that you mentioned, um, there was uh, – does anybody collect Rue Morg here? Yeah, I do now. Allie, I, mean, I know I started do, but... to within the last like year I've been subscribing. OK, so there was a great issue that came out when um, when Woman in Black came out, which was, gosh, like a decade ago now. And mm-hmm. um, it was a cover story. And they did, you know, I think there was a sidebar on the TV movie and one on the novel. And the centerpiece was a great interview with Radcliffe and Watkins and Goldman. And uh, that's one of the things that they brought up, actually, is, you know, why the hell would he stay there knowing what he knows? You know, he's not compelled to be there. They don't lean hard on that initial setup where it's like, okay, your job's at stake. Like, it really is. And I think that's something that Radcliffe actually raised with Watkins, which is, why the hell would he go there? Like, knowing what he knows. And he said Watkins, being very smart, pointed out to him that Kipps had just lost his wife only a few years prior and would likely find the possibility of an afterlife to be comforting in knowing that his wife is in a better place, Mm -hmm. even though the proof in this case is absolutely terrifying. And there has got to be some truth to that. And, you know, I think that's very true of human nature in a way, too. Um, I remember a buddy of mine uh, in the same area that I was talking about before. He uh, he was part of a ghost hunters group, which is something that I just did not understand. Like he was a dude in his early 40s who sort of got wrapped up in uh, going out every Friday and Saturday night and traipsing about like purportedly haunted locations in the area. And I just remember asking once like, why the fuck are you doing this? Do you really think you're going to find a ghost? Like, and if you do find a ghost, why the hell would you want to do that? (laughs) And he's just like, well, that was just it. He was like, look, dude, he was like, I just turned 42. And he was like, I'm not super young anymore. And he was like, I would just like to know that there's something else out there. And I was like, okay, all right, fair enough. I get that. Community. Ghosts are community. Well, like, do you, uh, so my question is, do you think these kids would be dying regardless of whether kid was there or not? No, no, he's uh, killing them. He's murdering the kids. Himself. Yeah, killing kids. He's a kid. <laughs> All right. So is he the real villain of this movie? Oh, he, no. <laughs> sure. <laughs> There's the woman in black. I mean. <laughs> Who's the real bad guy? Who's Harry the Potter. real villain? Is it Harry? I think it's somebody would lead her to the island no matter what like that that place was never going to be cut off if it wasn't arthur like if it wasn't renfield dracula was always going to find a way to london you know and um i i just i think but i don't think arthur realizes that i don't think he realizes the kind of viral 
Well, it were, they tell him explicitly many times. They're like, and, well, and then he gets evidence of it. That's my thing. Is like, yeah, not. I mean, I get maybe the initial time, but it's like he yeah. keeps seeing kids die. Yeah, like you're and right he's in front of him. Yeah. But, but okay, but if you know that and you're in the middle of it, I think it's actually a courageous act because once he finds out, he sets himself to resolving it. Lest you know somebody else walk in his footsteps and mm. kill even more children in the future. So at least he dives in head first and tries to fix the problem. Primarily mm. once he finds out his own son is at risk. Yeah. That's when he, that's when he really goes full tilt into trying to put the ghost to rest. I mean, although, I mean, I agree that he's, he's very fascinated by the story. He wants to understand why it's happening. And I think a part of him wants to resolve it because he wants to believe that not only is there an afterlife, but that there is a, uh, for lack of a better word, a heaven, you know, a happy place for ghosts to go, not just this limbo area where you're just stuck and angry. Um, and I think if he can sort of connect to that in some sort of meaningful way, then he can find in his mind like peace or solace in regards to his grief. But it's also staving the pain that he's felt. Like, I feel like this is a character who's felt empty for a very long time. And for the first time, probably since his wife died, he feels purpose and energy towards something. Mm -hmm. And so he's blinded by that. I think that's fair. And you can see that in his performance, too, where he sort of he kind of comes to life a bit compared to how we see him in London. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Does he? Well, <laughs> well there's more. I mean, he's still and, very and, pale. And as, as pale, well, I was gonna say, there's more color here. You know, like in London, everything is like grayscale. Here, there's like there's a little bit more depth to. Well, there's more the contrast. Watkins pointed that out in that same interview. He noted that his color scheme, and I love this. Uh, he said his color scheme was composed of bruised colors, uh, purples and blacks, oh, the that. colors of decay and death, and that oh, this uh, yes. this sort of saturation stands Yellows, in contrast. Greens. Yeah, standing in contrast to like many modern horror films, which want to, you know, lean into monochromatic, desaturated palettes. This is such a auteuristic vision for this film, and it's it, like you said earlier, it's shocking that this is a person that has not made ten movies like you know gothic horror. You know, I I could totally see this guy doing like The Boy or something. Like I I don't know why. Mm -hmm. I, I'd be curious to hear what he wants to do and what his sort of career trajectory has been. Cause I imagine he's doing, like I said, if you look at it, he's been doing a couple miniseries and it looks like he's spearheading those top to bottom. So I wonder if maybe that's just what he wants to do is tell longer form stories. Mm -hmm. And, and making be. TV in England is probably a little bit more fulfilling than doing oh, it. Certainly. Here. And certainly more lucrative. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, but I mean, at the same time, like if you were atomic monster and Warner brothers, Snap this dude up for one of your Conjuring verse movies. I mean, probably wouldn't do it as my energy. Well, maybe he would. You're probably right. You're probably right. But I mean, you'd make it better. Yeah, this guy strikes mm -hmm. me as someone who would like not be interested in Insidious yeah. Six or something. Me you know, it's too. Like... And that's his loss. <laughs> like mm -hmm. it needs to have something that's going to grip him. And then also, maybe once he made this movie, he's like, okay, I did that. Now I'm ready to do a different type of movie. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe this is his stamp on the gothic horror. I think that's just most likely given like looking at his filmography as a whole. Well, and, and listening to his commentary, it, it 
kind of sounds a bit definitive. Like, this is what I wanted to do. I'm really pleased with it. Here's why I did it. Here's how I did it. And that's it. You know, he sounds kind of like beyond it, which, you know, makes sense to me. It's just sleepy and British. Do you think the, um, uh, what's it called? The mutton chops, are they real? I keep thinking about it. I truly believe that he committed to it. I think he grew that out. You think I that's think real? CG. Would, he have, would he have had time, though? Because he was shooting Harry Potter, like, right up against this. They look kind of fake. I think they're CG. fake. They're CG. CG. It's and, like and the, the, hair. It's the mustache removal thing or whatever on <laughs> Superman. I don't, uh, I don't know. They CG'd someone's mustache out in a Superman movie? Oh, Did, Josh. Isn't that a thing? I didn't see oh, these movies. I didn't watch any of those movies. So it, this, is, this is marvelous. Uh, a quick story. Henry Cavill, bless him. Um, he shot Justice League for Zack Snyder. Then he went off to make uh, Mission Impossible Fallout, I think. And he grew a big, damn near handlebar mustache for the role. And uh, he's great in that movie, by the way. And then uh, Warner Brothers did what they did with the movie. And they brought in Joss Whedon. And they, like, reshot 60% of it. And a lot of the stuff that they had to reshoot involved Superman and uh, Paramount, who had Cavill under contract for Mission Impossible, forbade him to shave the mustache off. So they <laughs> had to CG his mouth for the bulk of the oh movie. Oh my god, and that's so stupid. It would be so easy so to do bad. the other way and just put a fake mustache on the guy. It, I would so like to think that, that I Paramount... Yeah, Paramount was totally just... I love just, how petty that shit is. It's that is beautiful. Amazing. I, live, I live for that kind of petty. Me too. I would <laughs> do that. I would be like, well... Have you all not seen it? Have you not seen like the, the, the mush mouth thing? No, I, I never saw no? that movie. I, don't watch I never watched movies. any of that shit. Yeah, I don't watch it. <laughs> okay, have you ever seen like that effect where you take a still image and the mouth is cut out and there's yes, like a real exactly person? About. Yeah. Yeah. Not too far... From oh that, God, really? Wow. It's in like in like a two hundred million dollar like action superhero yep. thing. It yep. looks like that. It's it's what that's they deserve. Terrible. You know, up, remember upside down chin mouth from the nineties? Yeah, like, yeah like, I do. Uh, <laughs> that's what I'm envisioning. I still it's do. Like, that. Like, <laughs> good. Upside down chin mouth, like the host of a Nickelodeon yeah, like yeah, night yeah. thing, like yes. Snick or some in, shit. Yeah. In Canada, we had that for a commercial for craft dinner. Yeah. And they would like they'd feed them craft dinner while they sang like Elvis esque songs. Perfect marketing. Love it. That would make you on craft dinner. I'm actually doing that right now. I'm doing upside down mouth right now. You just can't see me. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I do it all the time on this podcast, but no one's here to enjoy it. Yeah. Aww. But I love how they didn't wash the wall. Yeah, they, they just, just put up. That's what I would it. do. I wouldn't wash it. I would just put up new, yeah, new paper. Guys, don't wash it. It's wallpaper. But they knew I mean, the entire time thought, that it was underneath there. You know? My thought like, on that would be like, if you're going to put up new wallpaper anyway, why expend the energy to wash what's under it? You're tired. The blood is going to be invisible. Yeah, you, you're you're tired and you're British. Yeah. You just, you you're want tired to and you're that. British. Yes. Paul, to your point, and uh, what we were talking about a moment before about the children and whether or not poor Arthur is culpable. Murdering like, them. There is that idea. You know, it's funny. In the, uh, the interview I read, Watkins and Goldman both mentioned that this film is influenced by Japanese horror films. Oh. Like that oh. this is that this okay. telling yeah. is a quote classic ghost story meets J horror and J horror has a great deal in common with the traditional Victorian era ghost story. And when you think about it in that light and keep in mind that this this 
movie is based on a book that was written back in 83, although it's dealing with tropes that have evolved since then. But when you get to the point where Arthur goes into the muck to retrieve the child and deliver it to the woman of black's feet, <gasps> it's, the the hopes, mm-hmm. it's totally the ring in the but, hopes that that will abate the, uh, the haunting. And then it turns out at the end, it's like, Nope, that's not going to do it. JK. Yeah. Totally. That, totally. The ring. Oh, it's very, the ring. That is very, and this shot, by the way, this like creepy kid walking from the I love cross it. shot, I think is like legitimately terrifying. It's so good. And then there's this, yeah. which is not. Yeah. yeah, then then it ruins it with this. Yeah, uh, this was yeah. scary in theaters in 2012. It just was. But yeah. it's not as scary. Like, it, it makes you jump. I mean, it, it, but yeah, because it's, it's loud. It just feels, because they do yeah, a big yeah, it's just loud. And it's weird. cheap. <clears throat> the The other thing, the other J-horror connection is like the, what I love. What I love most about J-horror is how it deals with like repressed grief. Uh, a lot of the films are, are very much about. Uh, that emotion and in a way that like Western horror often didn't deal with it. <laughs> you know, like when I think about um, dark water or even like Juan or whatever, like whatever movie you're talking about, there's, there's a ton of really interesting emotional stuff going on that like Western horror just doesn't give a shit about, you know, it's more about the horror elements of it and, and glossing over the grief. And this movie puts the grief front and center in a similar way. Oh, definitely. Mm-hmm. So many ADR mothers grieving in this movie, and they do a great job. I know. Paul, can I, I uh, ask you a weird question? Sure. Uh, and you can uh, you can not answer this, of course. And it was something okay. that I... I'm kind of scared. Okay. scared. No, no, <laughs> it was something that I neglected to ask you last time on our Wakewood commentary. And the only reason I bring it up is because I have heard other people talk about this in this way and i'm wondering you being a genre fan and being uh you know maybe even a jaded genre fan at this point like i'm curious if it's true for you uh and that's me being presumptuous but i would imagine by virtue of the volume the sheer volume of movies you've seen like you got to be a little jaded at this point right just a bit like just a little inured (laughs) to like brutality and scares in movies oh just a- you mean like like d- d- less affected by things yes yeah, yeah, i suppose yeah. yeah certainly yeah okay so by that rationale i'm curious like i meant to ask this like i said during our wake wakewood commentary but it holds true here like maybe even arguably more so here but it's okay to ask let me know if it isn't okay. do films where violence happens to children strike you differently in the years like since you've become a parent at all um because i've heard other parents talk about that in very specific ways but the answer always differs to varying degrees but they all sort of land on the same side yeah i yes it it does um and it it's sort of an ever-changing thing as my kids get older i so and i will say like i'm not the kind of person who is like oh i i can't do that i i don't you know that's not okay or whatever it is like i'm fine with it as long as there's a place in the story and it makes sense um but yeah i mean certainly i find it like a lot more disturbing than i once did and i think about things differently you know when i think about not to get like (laughs) too serious or weird about it but it's like when a when a child dies um in a movie if it's done well uh if it's handled the right way um the loss of that, I it doesn't feel like another per even though and this it's odd. It's like it 
when a child dies, you and and your parent, or, or at least for me, um, I think about like somebody gave birth to this person, somebody raised them, someone worried about them and cared for them and was with them through thick and thin and was excited to see them grow up and was pouring, you know, a part of themselves into this new person. Um, And now all of that is over prematurely. And, and a part of you that is also growing has now been sort of cut off early and that part doesn't go away. So there is this rippling effect uh, across multiple lives, not just the life that was lost. The other element I think about is the sheer innocence of a child. Um, somebody that doesn't know how shitty the world can be and how horrible and doesn't know pain in the way that an adult knows pain. Um, having to experience that or go through something traumatic um, without really understanding it feels a lot sadder um, and more tragic than an adult going through that same thing. Um, Even though obviously a loss of life is a loss of life, uh, you know, unless I guess they're a, uh, a stage hand on wizard of Oz and Jinx's eyes. And then it's fine, Um, but that's fine. But um, no, I mean, (laughs) but I mean, does that answer your question? I don't know. I, I might've gone on too much of a tangent there. I'm uh, no, no. I think that answers the question beautifully until the very end. At which point you've only <laughs> cemented the fact that I will be canceled after the airing of this episode. No, no, we're with you. We want. Yeah, we, we want. I said unless yeah. you. Yeah, you know, I agreed. But no, um, no, no. I that's no. It's a perfect answer, and it's something that I was kind of curious about. And you know, again, like I've I've heard answers to that sort of question to varying degrees, but. Uh, it it all boils down to the same thing, which is uh, yes, no, it is different now. So well, and and you know, this movie handles that really well. And I'm reminded, Hammer dealt not with children, but like with with grief before. Like I think about Vera Cook and Kiss of the Vampire. Mm-hmm. You know where she's where we 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 kind of sneak up on her. She's the the wife of a you know a pub owner or an innkeeper, and she's crying over a picture of her daughter that she keeps hidden. And she's crying in secret because she's supposed to be she's not supposed to show that emotion. And one of the main characters sort of finds her crying um, and sort of reveals like, oh, yeah, I just might I miss my daughter. She passed away and I just I'm not over it, but I'm, it's not OK for me to feel this way. So I have to hide it. Um, you know, Hammer has always been interested in the effect of death, not just the death itself, um, and especially in. You know, they, they have these gothic trappings, but the societal implications of those feelings at the time periods these movies are set in are often, you know, explored, especially as Hammer progressed throughout the ages. You know, maybe not so much in the late 50s, early 60s, but by the time we got to the late 60s, early 70s, that was something that was becoming more commonplace. So I think this movie really carries that exploration further and in, and logically so into a modern era where we're now putting the emotion front and center. And even though there's a lot of repression and everything else, it's still the grief itself is almost like a character in the movie. Mm-hmm. That's nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and it's funny that this, uh, this, <laughs> this leg of our conversation is going to culminate in maybe the most shocking child's death in the entire film. Pretty horrific. <laughs> 
I, I, Did anybody else think yeah. when they first saw this film that he was going to be able to save this one? Because it it For he's sure. given this is this is Spider Man, right? Like he rushes into the birding building, and yeah. just when things look bleakest, he he pulls it out, and you know he 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 saves the child. And uh, here, that's just not the case. R.I.P. <laughs> is, is any brutal. of this real fire? <laughs> Practical fire, do you think, or is it all CGI? Some it looks seemed... real, I think. It looked real to it. me, yeah. There were fire uh, bars it's in easy there. To check like... me, though. I think some of it, yeah, I mean, but it just goes back, because we always used to talk about real, like how Hammer often used real fire in big third act set pieces. Uh-huh. So it's kind of fun to call back to that a little bit. I wonder, did, I wonder how many people got seriously hurt or died on Hammer sets. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> yeah. Just curious. Veronica Carlson was, uh, I think, mildly annoyed at being uh, constantly bathed in cold water. Mm-hmm. Or yeah. uh, what movie was that? Um, Boo hoo! It was. It was <laughs> fuck. Oh, that was uh, water. Frankenstein must be destroyed. I think. Frankenstein takes a bath. <laughs> oh. Veronica Carlson takes a bath. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh that sounds like a fancy porn. Barbara Shelley got pretty hurt during uh, Rasputin the Mad Monk. Oh, that's sad. In a in a fight scene with her and Christopher Lee, it was it was legitimately an accident, but he she got hurt pretty bad. She didn't die though. <laughs> Is that the woman in black but in white? Did she switch it up? No. That's how you know she's not evil anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's like having oh. a good day. That should be the sequel, Woman in White. That's nice. I think. Is it the wedding? It's the yeah. wedding. Paul, you're naming my fan fiction. I kid you not. Have you guys seen <laughs> Woman in White? 1980s kind of YA horror. Uh, was that the Frank oh my gosh, Lotion yes. movie? Oh, lady, is it... with that oh lady, lady in white. white. Thank you. Yeah. No, you're fine. Yeah, I love that movie. I it's love a, that movie too. Although the poster art is about 13 oh. times better. Yeah. And it's it's an October staple for me. I, I try to watch it every October season. Yeah, that and Watcher, Watcher in the Woods. The Betty Watcher Davis. in the Woods with Betty Davis. It's um, always the same to me. Though. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. And uh, the other Disney, because Watcher in the Woods is one of the the rare Disney sort of horror things. Yeah. And uh, Something Wicked This Way Comes is another phenomenal Classic. 80s Disney. Very good. I hey, can I, uh, there's no way to properly transition to this, but I am sitting on this note right now and I just want to, uh, throw it out there because I think it's neat. Paul, you watched the TV movie, the woman in black mm-hmm. Arthur. And that was played by Adrian Rollins. Oh, I know what you're going to say. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah, I well, know exactly I'm saying, where I'm saying two things. This. I'm saying two things. <laughs> One Rollins would later appear in, uh, the woman in black to the angel of death, uh, which is the sequel to this film as a different character, which is neat. He returns to the franchise as another character, but Adrian Rollins played Arthur in the original TV film. Daniel Radcliffe plays Arthur in this Hammer film that we're watching now. Paul, would you like to clue everybody in as to what the connection is between these two actors? Beyond the fact that they played the same character in two different productions. Allie, Josh, before Paul lets everyone know, do you do you two know what the connection is? Mm-mm. No. Hit him, Paul. Adrian Rollins plays James Potter. <laughs> 
in the Harry Potter. Movies. Whoa, the hottie of the century. <laughs> that. Nobody hotter than James Potter. There you go. Uh, yep, he plays Harry's dad. I just Harry love the Potter fact movie. that they were father and son, but also they played the same characters mm-hmm. separated by. Yeah, that's a fun, years. weird, random connection that they couldn't possibly have planned. You know what I mean? Like, you know, because he was a child when that movie was casted. Uh-huh. Um, but anyway, no, that's a fun thing. That is fun. Here's our favorite character. Again. I was just going to say my favorite's back. It's me. It's me. <laughs> I don't know what her name is. I forgot. I want like nice bushy hair that I can make into a nice like fat one braid that goes down. The yes. Side. With yeah. a little ribbon at the end. That's like, like not. My well, too thin for that. I was thinking about her weird bushy hair the first time I watched it and how much I liked it. I, uh, I think her name I is Janet McTeer. McTeer? Just that's watched... uh, Elizabeth Daly. Okay. She really brings it all to this movie. Yeah. Oh, I can see the wig line, though. That's too bad. Ooh, yeah, you can. They <laughs> I just can. clocked it. Thank you, Drag Race, for giving me this new power. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's pretty bad, actually. I've never noticed that before. You really see it. Oh, they, that's, they, gotta, they gotta CGI blur that one out. Yeah, at this point in time, like 10 years yeah. later. Yeah, I can fix. need to go yeah, back go and back, like give a Lucas, a George, George Lucas. Lucas. <laughs> I really want. We always intended for Dubax to be walking on the beach at this scene. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's always creepy. Every single scene where she kills kids is just. I mean, ugh. I love the opening mm-hmm. of the three girls walking to the windows. It feels Beautiful. very like fairy tale, like dark fairy tale. Like, with how sort of symmetrical it all is. <laughs> this woman needs a pad and paper. But also, I like that there was just that. It's <laughs> there for her to do that. Like, I know, but she's always scrawling crazy. onto something expensive. Just you like, would think, if that was a consistent thing she did, that she, she would carry it. around a pad of paper. Yeah, give her like a backpack. damn notepad. Yeah, yeah, give her, like, an iPad or something. Oh, okay, she's going oh. down. Oh, no. Look at that message. Don't play football with the stick kids. Just BRB. Oh. Can I can I say something? I want to take it back. Uh, instead of asshole Quatermass playing Sam, Sam to me strikes me as like such a damn decent human being. Like let's let's say late 70s hammer, we're at the very end, like we're post uh, you know, uh to the devil or yeah, to the devil a daughter, say. Mm. Let's make Arthur like Shane Bryant and let's make Sam Peter Cushing. Okay. I can get on board. You know, you know who else I could see as Sam if we're going a little earlier? Um, Michael Ripper. Oh, totally. See that. I think that would work, but I love, I love the idea of an, an aged Cushing playing that character. I think that would work really well for sure. And I love, you know, the fact that they're just bopping around in that car. It's funny when I was watching it, I it occurred to me there is something that I love about this sort of juxtaposition of the modern with kind of the archaic. I mean, you have this automobile's appearance in a town that looks very, very antiquated. And mm-hmm. it, to me, that there is something about that. And I don't know that I can fully articulate it, but. It, it seems to feed into the story's battle of reason versus superstition uh, in a way. 
and uh, yeah. which I think is interesting in this movie, given that you, you have the quote unquote like reasonable characters like Sam not believing in superstition, but readily accepting, you know, the notion of a Christian afterlife, which is for a modern film is quite, you know, striking, I think. But given Hammer's history, that's a very Hammer approach to the gothic. Well, and it makes you feel, I mean, the first time I saw this movie, I sort of felt like it was like Sam was going to end up being like a villain, you know, like, like he's, he's too much of a good guy. He's too much his friend. And it feels like he, he, he has to know more than he lets on. And I Uh sort of think it's, it's a bit subversive to just have him be authentic. (laughs) Like he's just that (laughs) who he is is who he is. And he really is trying and his beliefs do just sort of differ with the the village he's found himself planted within. Yeah, I totally um, remembered him being a villain, and it was a false memory. Yeah, I I did too. Like when I sat down to watch it, I was like, "This guy's a bad guy." I'm yeah, sure he's obviously there's bad. no way he's on the level. And when... he played the devil in Ghost Rider too. Yeah, exactly. Sweet. Exactly. He was great. Um, in Ghost Rider. I'm just throwing that out. Ghost Rider Two is good. Yeah, they're fabulous movies. Never seen yeah, them. No, they seem strange. <laughs> I do think the village itself is the most hammer element of the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, the unfriendly locals, like the sort of like, I mean, they're not really waving pitchforks, but they kind of are uh, going after Kip. And um, a lot of kids for a town of like 12 people. True. Although most of the kids are dead. So that's true. It evened out. Sorry. Rude. Oh, no. They have to keep having kids because, you know, because this keeps happening in black. <laughs> yeah. She gets That's hungry. So damn. That's hilarious and dark at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Here we go again. You want to take bets on how long this little bastard will last? Why don't these people move? <laughs> yeah, That's get the out thing of there. I kept wondering. I was like, who has a kid and doesn't move? In that town? We can imagine too, like for the bulk of their lives, one imagines that the haunting was kept in place by uh, Alice. You know, so it wasn't until Alice was dead and then you have Arthur appearing that maybe the kids start dropping left and right. But but yeah, you're right. Like, how did they hear about how do they know that in the first place that that is a possibility? And yeah, why not go ahead? And uh, I don't care if the (laughs) if the ghost has been dormant or not, like maybe get the fuck away from that island. We need to salt and burn the bones. That's the thing. Mm-hmm. Any, if they watch Supernatural, they'd know. And they do. Give her a good swipe with an iron bar, play some classic rock while doing so. I mean, would you not love to see Sam and Dean take on the women in black? Truly love it. I, but I they are allowed to be like period pieces. They have to show up in like modern day clothes. <laughs> they could time travel. I mean, it's Supernatural. They can exactly. figure out a way to do it. <laughs> Castiel uh, could send them back. Did anybody finish Supernatural? Anybody here? I'm on season five I'm of Gilmore Girls. Did. Does that count? Gilmore Girls. <laughs> I didn't. I got to like season 11. And just, I, so I, Paul, I tapped out. Paul, I made it to season out, 11 yeah. and tapped out. I couldn't do it. The darkness. It's enough seasons. The darkness. The darkness is where woman, I was like, okay. Like the dark, the living darkness at the very beginning, right? Who was like, yep. Yep. That's where I made it two episodes yep. in. It was that Stop. moment. Jinx? I tried again. 
Same I tried episode. to get a couple of years later, <laughs> and I tapped out again. I couldn't do it. I was like, you know I what? Can't, yeah, I can't. I've seen the finale. I, I was just like, fuck it. Oh, you and watched I the finale? Up. Yeah, because I was like, you know what? I tried twice to finish it out, and as much How as I once it? loved the show. um, Just like a one-sentence review. Um, I really liked the idea. I really liked some of the execution. Some of it was kind of hokey and not great, but I will say this. Uh, fuck it. Are you ever going to watch it? No, I think no, I might. No. I think I okay. might watch the ending. There is, there is a conclusion to one of the characters in the show. And I'm not saying which one of the, the handful of main characters in the show, but I, I think it pissed a lot of people off. I think it pissed the actor off. I read somewhere, but there is something that's kind of brilliant about the way okay. it's handled that I actually, it made me respect the the finale more than I probably would have otherwise. Did, did it matter that you hadn't seen the last like three or four seasons? Uh, not really, because apparently okay. all of the stuff that they had set up in the previous seasons leading up to that final season was resolved in the previous episode. So oh. what's weird is, is that the final episode isn't really even the finale for the season. It's really like the epilogue for the entire show. So okay. as long as you're familiar with the characters and if you can just kind of roll with not knowing a couple of things, yeah. uh, you, you should be good. Well, I'm a season one through five guy. I feel like that's, that's all you need. And that's the ending and we're good. Yeah. But the rest I'll, is really yeah. well-made fan fiction. Yeah, exactly. The rest is scream. <laughs> All right. It's very toxic of you, Paul. I know. But how so do can you, you be toxic? Do you if think you're a there, fan of there was, do you think there would have been something? any way to quell the woman in black? Like, or is that just not a possibility? I don't think it is with romance. I don't think she wants to be quelled. Yeah. She wants to fuck you up. She's Sweeney top. Like never forgive, never forget. Well, and I have I have questions about the finale when we get to it, um, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I agree. I, I think this is I like that this is a ghost that isn't looking for some sort of like solution. Yeah, yeah. You know? which is like kind of hokey every time. Every like, time, yeah. Every also, like time. A to B and then C will be fine. And she's like, "No, I'm I'm pissed. You're dumb. I'm gonna kill your kid." <laughs> Which I, I just, that. which I respect. Part of me feels like I yeah. wish that she were allowed to speak because when he brings her child back to her, I would love to have seen her just walk up to the body and just kind of like Meh. put her hands out and kind of shrug like he's he he's still dead. Like you know, it, why did know you bring is. me this? I thought this was going to be her kid for some reason. For I'm a even more there. pissed now that I have to see this. Oh, I I could see that. Like like somehow he was her strange. Yeah, child. This was all she meant was like to the be. baby that the aunt took away, and I'm yeah. really glad that's not. But he was like. dead the whole time. Yeah. Oh my <laughs> He's god. Everything everything you see that's red is like Bruce yeah, Willis, right? Oh. This was uh, a secret no. Shyamalan movie. Although the giveaway yeah. would have been like the scene where M. Night Shyamalan himself like was the carriage driver. Yeah, like walks by and like <laughs> winks weirdly. Yeah, he has that like hat on. And he has some cryptic line that's important to the thematic story. Mm. One of the greatest cameos that uh, Shyamalan ever did wasn't even him. It was somebody spoofing him in one of the scary movies. Uh, we all oh, remember scary Signs. Movie 3. Yeah, You're talking yeah, about 3. Yes, three? yes, the best, the scary best scary movie. Best movie. One. I'll need a ride. Scary movie one is untouchable. (laughs) 
Scary Movie 1 does have Doofy, um, but Scary Movie 2 has the best opening. Scary Movie 3 is, like, truly a treasure. Scary Movie 3 is my favorite because it has the police lady who has the hat that keeps getting bigger after every (laughs) shot. That's a good get. It's so funny. It is so, and it never stops being funny. It only gets funnier every time I see it. But the first movie has my favorite joke, which is when they hit the body and she picks it up and just, we hit a boot. And it just, I don't know why it makes me laugh. That run that that scene and I know what you did last summer for me for all time <laughs> good oh, yeah, no, we hit a oh my I god mean, we hit yeah, a boot. i can see that and shannon i have to read this death is absurd, and i like i it. do i haven't the... seen the first scary movie like since the I 90s literally watch, watch it like, it holds up show. it's offensive but it's funny it's very i mean yeah they're all those at that time all the comedies were offensive i mean you can't watch an, a late 90s comedy without cringing at least oh, three, yeah. three or four times <laughs> and raunchy really meant something back then like they oh really god yes believed yeah. in raunch mm-hmm. Absolutely. i was very confused by the like ejaculation on the ceiling scene as a 10 year old and you know what i think i still am a little confused <laughs> that would just not happen in a comedy now you know it's no like, you could just, not do that that would never happen no, they got away. That with a summer lot. too it was the summer of two thousand, and there was the feeling of watching uh, me, myself, and Irene and Scary mm-hmm. Movie, where it was like, oh, we've oh, turned a corner. Yeah. Like comedies are doing dangerous stuff now. This feels dangerous. This feels yeah. And now it's just kind of like, oh, that was just a period of time, and we've moved beyond it. But uh, and I gotta mm-hmm. imagine it was all spurred on by the success of uh, There's Something About Mary. But I adore. <sighs> oh yeah, and what's the other one with her too? Um, very bad things. Very bad. Ba- yeah, that's a good movie. The kill the a Dark movie. Yeah. Uh-huh. That movie's gotten such bungled releases, though. Like the Blu ray <laughs> that Shout just put out has like a cropped version of it. It's not even like the full what? frame. Yeah, it's really. Okay, weird. well, that's rude. Yeah, okay, it's, it's CG. Never gotten a good... oh, I hate that. Sorry. I don't mean to talk about it. <laughs> no, you're good. You're good. You're good. The movie that messed me up the most as a kid was Nurse Betty because of that really mm-hmm. strangely realistic scalping sequence. Yep. Oh. Yeah, that's fucked up. Uh, Chris Rock's death in it, where he's screaming for his dad. Like, what happens to him in it? Oh, like at the he's he's this tough guy the entire time, uh, like super masculine, always talking about. You know, he's just he sounds like such a, uh, you know, a brash asshole the entire time. And then at the end, when he gets shot, he falls down and he starts screaming for his dad, who is oh. Morgan Freeman's character. And you didn't realize that was the connection between them the entire time. And I think he actually screams daddy before he gets shot in the head. Oh, I love and it's that. Like, that oh, that's so sad and good. That's great. Oh, I like when stuff like that happens in movies where it's just weirdly realistic and it makes you upset. Like when she's screaming ow, when she's getting eaten by a shark at the beginning of Jaws. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh it's yeah. so good. That Yeah. It feels, mm-hmm. it, it grounds it more yeah. in reality. I think it happens with Daniel Harris in, what was it, the second Rob Zombie Halloween? A similar oh, death? Yeah. I love it. That is a painful death. Paul, yeah. going to uh, your love of Scary Movie 3, I just want to say that <laughs> even though I think the opening of Scary Movie 2 is the best thing in the entire franchise, I will say that Anthony Anderson racking a shotgun shell out of a shovel may be mm-hmm. one of the greatest moments in all of cinema. Or or when uh, Charlie Sheen goes outside and they do the signs thing where the camera's just like spinning around him and he's turning, yeah. trying to get his bearings, and then it just makes him dizzy and he falls over. <laughs> I just so, love, love so shit silly. like that. I can't get over how funny that shit is. But, I gotta uh, rewatch number three. Three is good so three good. Honestly, it's so good and it holds up. And that's the movie where we it really get up. Brenda. Oh yeah, Brenda forever. But no, yeah, whoever the hat is that the one it's with true, the, the hat. funeral or is hat, that for oh, the hat forever? 
Uh, Allie, wait. Uh, Brenda, uh, funeral, is that three or four? That's three, because four is when... It's... Three is the funeral. Three is the funeral. Okay. Because yeah. four is War of the Worlds, like that whole vibe. Wait, right? I, I, uh, yeah. Yes, four, four is four where I the world ends. In the grudge. I think. Yeah. Yes, um, in the grudge. Dr. Hey. Phil? No, yeah, the doctor. And Dr. Doctor Phil, Phil and Shaq. Tequila Neal? Oh, yeah. Oh, my um, God. Jinx, you mentioned the CGI stuff in the last scene with, like, her, the woman in black just, like, coming at the camera screaming. I, I yeah. That's the stuff that really, like, takes me out of the movie. It doesn't hold it, it does. together. And Paul, can I ask you, you just watched the, oh, I'm sorry. Is that where the 3D would have gone? Oh, for sure. Oh, yeah. yeah, probably. Although, no, would it, the shot would have been different because her arms would have been outstretched towards the camera. Yeah, yeah noodle arms. But I will say, even for that, okay, so that is a 2012 version of that kind of scare. Paul, you've just watched the TV movie, which, by the way, doing research on it, the TV movie was nominated for four BAFTAs back in the day, which I think is awesome. But anyway. Oh, wow. That scene. No, I didn't even know it was eligible. Yeah. It would have been. It's insane. Four BAFTAs. That's four. crazy. Um, but yeah, no, that, that big sequence where she races at the camera slash Arthur and she's screaming and everything. There is a much simpler version of that scare in the TV movie, which has her just at the foot of somebody's bed. And it's a, uh, I think in texting Paul, I described it as a pants pisser because it is, it is terrifying. Yeah. 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 It's, um, it's so much scarier and it's because there's so much more subtle about it. And the, the original is so funny because basically, I mean, not to give it away, but Arthur Kipps just kind of like, fuck this. I'm leaving. Like there is no climactic <laughs> battle. He's just like, when he realizes what's going on, he's just like, I'm out of here. <laughs> like I'm going to go home. And, and it, you know, essentially follows him, which is, which makes a little bit, uh, makes it a little more frightening that she's not really confined to that space. Uh, she's more, you know, will attach to whatever it is that she's, you know, haunting her or, or sees her. Yeah. Whatever she's into. Whatever. Before the uh, British man. Inevitable tragic moment here. I just want to point out like this neat little bit of trivia that uh, young Joseph there is played by Misha Handley, who is Daniel Radcliffe's real life godson. Uh, Radcliffe oh. pushed for this oh. casting himself because he wanted like that connection to the actor who yeah. would be playing like an his actual son. familial. Connection. Yeah. And I, I love that. Um, Doing a bit of research on this, uh, apparently, much like the end of the TV film, the end of this film was just meant to be ice cold. And uh, there would be the death of poor Arthur and Joseph. And that would have been it. That would have been the end of the movie. And apparently test screenings uh, uh, yielded audience members who hated that. And so I got to say that I, I appreciate Hammer and Company sticking to their guns and keeping the deaths, but they did add the sort of afterlife ending to soften it a bit, which I don't mind. No, I I wish they had been rude. I think, I think it should have ended with what we just saw only as the train passes, Daniel Radcliffe and his son get (gasps) added to that gaggle of kids. And then it goes, and then it cuts back to Samuel's face, just looking shocked and horrified and then cut to credits. But you cut back and the hat's really big. Hats and the hat gets bigger every time. <laughs> I like that actually. That's really scary. That would this is I like this too, but it does kind of feel like they were forced to make a somewhat happy ending. Well, my problem with this ending is it's really confusing because <laughs> 
the whole movie it establishes that the kids she's killed are doomed and sort of in limbo with her. They don't uh-huh. get to move on. Yeah. So why does he? <laughs> Maybe because he sacrifices himself and he's well, cute. I I think it's a trade. He gave her her son back, so she allows him his. Oh, well, I wondered that, but that goes in the face of her being this unrelenting evil entity. She wouldn't. But I, I think she was enough. Don't that... give her a chance. Yeah. Well, and do you want to know what the filmmaker said about it, or do you mm-hmm. want to not tell hear us. it? Because no, they, tell, tell interestingly, because uh, I, I watched this part of the commentary, and and typically filmmakers like don't comment on this stuff; they want it to be ambiguous. But in this case, uh, Watkins was like, you know, he he was like, this is a character that will not forgive. He's like, I do not see the ending as something where she did that to help him. She wanted to kill him. That was my intention with that scene. He's like, I shot the additional ending, like Jake said, because they made me. He's like, the only real way to interpret that is that he's like, well, maybe, you know, like Jinx said, because he sacrificed himself, perhaps he's being, you know, there's some other higher force letting him move on. Um, Or maybe it's in his own mind. You can you can interpret it however you want. He's like, but in my eyes. In no way was the woman in black trying to help him. No, for sure not. I didn't realize it was written by a woman. That's awesome. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, Jane Goldman, yeah. and Jane who, uh, Goldman agreed. Stardust. But, and she also oh Stardust, um, Stardust, and Kickass. I love Stardust too. First class. Oh, she and she also was good. wonderful. It's it's a really great commentary. If you ever pick up the disc, it's really worth listening to. And yeah, she had the same sentiment and she kind of joked. She's like, well, of course I feel that way because I didn't write this ending. Uh, <laughs> she's like, this is, you know, I can't really comment on this because I didn't write it. Uh, you know, so. countering that, the running counter to the idea that he is able to move on, there was a rumor uh, that persisted for a time that um, a rumor that Radcliffe was going to return for the sequel for a brief appearance and one wonders how that would have, I mean, there are, I think there's something like three or four decades that separates uh, the first film from the second. And so like if Radcliffe was going to appear presumably as Arthur, then one has to imagine that his soul isn't exactly free. Uh, Unfortunately, like, I don't know if anyone here has seen the sequel. That is not the case. He does not appear anywhere in there. And honestly, the the film does the story doesn't need him so we, it's okay. we had a, like a fight about it yesterday about the sequel. Oh, we, we did, we did. No, we did. no, we fist fought. We did. Wow, uh, that sounds. Wow. Intense. I have not yeah. seen it. I'm I'm looking forward to watching it, but I've never seen it, so I cannot. It's really boring. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, I it's gonna like hit me in the it. face uh, forever, and then on my gravestone. I, I'm my not. My hopes are not high for it. I, I avoided it because I assumed it wasn't great. Um. But I like it once. I'd like to revisit it. Because it looks. I am looking forward to finally checking. (laughs) Looking forward to adventuring. I found. I I got it on. I got it on disc. I found it. It was of course genuine. I was just wondering, like, was it the marketing or like? For me. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, um, I why reviews? I remember reading poor reviews of it. Um, and. It just it it kind of just looked like one of those DTV like oh this the first one was successful so let's make a second one you know I don't know it just it didn't grip me you know I I will admit the Daniel Radcliffe 
starring role in the first one kind of like captured my attention a little bit. And the mm-hmm. second one didn't have that draw. Um, so, you know, that, that was why. And then nobody, I didn't hear a lot of people singing its praises to make me go out of my way to finally see it. And then enough time passed that it just oh kind God. of faded into the background. Jessica Sinclair, assistant art director. <gasps> what? I, like the Jessica Sinclair. Did you guys it's, see that Peter, must, Park, right? Peter Parker is the producer's assistant? I was Spider-Man himself. to say that. <laughs> oh my God. He, he got all of the pizza. He did a really good job. Yeah, I remember making my boyfriend at the time we saw the Poltergeist remake in theaters, which oh, did over And then we saw the sequel to this in theaters, and it was a while until he let me pick something. <laughs> that's <laughs> fair. One of those well, movies I mean, the was Poltergeist good. remake, that's a One that's of the a, worst. That's a rough it's, watch. It's, it's really, really appalling, the Poltergeist remake. Yeah, it, it's about... It's all the things that people complain remakes are. <laughs> yeah. Who's the it, lead actor in that? Sam Rockwell is um, it. Sam Rockwell, Sam Rockwell good actor. It even yeah. made Sam Rockwell bad when he tries yeah. to cry, like in that yeah. one sequence. That it reminded me of Thomas Jane from um, The Mist. No, well, kind of. Um, it reminds me of Dawson from Dawson's Creek. Yeah, totally that. But it was uh, fuck. I forget what it was, but Thomas Jane played himself playing an actor in a show where he's just like walking around saying stuff like, "I just want my kids back," you know. And it sounds so familiar. That's yeah, nice. and it's just like that kind of energy is what Sam Rockwell brought to that performance. Like he just, yeah, well, my kids about back. yeah just like like straight. Just like and it's it's a movie that wastes uh, Jared Harris, and that's like a hard thing to do because he's a good actor. Jared Harris, uh, tell me more. Um, he's oh, he's so good. The, he starred in Chernobyl. Oh yeah, now I know. Um, yeah, he's in the yeah. new Morbius. Moriarty, the yeah. Terror, which is excellent, and also has Kieran Hines in it. You know, the Terror is really good, but I didn't love the finale. I didn't like where it all went. It was so boring. I didn't like the CG of it. It all, was very that... boring. Yeah, it was a super boring show. Yeah, that was my other problem with it. I was, I was, I liked like the performances were really good. The production design was great. I was bored seventy percent of the time. <laughs> Purple. Yeah. I'm sorry, but. Paul. You may hate the second Woman in Black. I don't know. I want. Ellie, have you seen it? it? I I, I'm going to be open minded, but I'm, I will I'm, watch you it. Know. You know when something's ruined because Ellie, you're going to have to watch it. <laughs> yeah, I have to. <laughs> you yeah. don't have a choice. We're, I'm very curious to see what everybody here is going to think of the Quiet Ones, which is widely considered know. to be the worst of New Hammer. And frankly, I dig it. So, Cuthbert? Okay. is that the Cuthbert movie? No, that uh, it was um, it's got Olivia Cook in it, and actually, I think it has Jared Harris in it. It has, like it. It has Jared Harris. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I uh, can't the... find a copy of it. Is my problem? I saw it at a press release thing, and there was booze, and I got real drunk. So I remember having a lot of fun with it. I feel like rewatching it, I'm going to be like, oh, oh, never mind. <laughs> who was the actress who was from like Bates Motel? Who was in it? Olivia Cook. Yes, she is great. He's great. She's she's a great actress too. And like, you don't see her that much anymore. At least I haven't in a while. So, so honestly, I haven't. So, was the All... sequel to this Hammer? Was uh, Angel of Death? Yeah, Hammer. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. yeah. So you're getting to it then. Uh yeah, and it is the next to last Hammer entry too. Uh, we're coming up on. Uh, well, let's see. We have the Quiet Ones. We have the Woman in Black to the Angel of Death, and then we have the Lodge, and then that is all she wrote for Hammer. Wow! Up well, until this point, so we're 
We're down to the final three. It's been a year and a half long side project for this podcast, but we are barreling toward it. Congrats to you guys. That's huge. Josh, thank you so much for being on the show and for helping us uh, eke ever closer to the ending of uh, Hammer Pub. We're, we're, We're starting to do last call here at the pub. You know, people are starting to shuffle out the door, and uh, we're glad you made it in before close. So my pleasure. Thank you for having me. It was it was a good time. <laughs> All right, now let's go around real quick. Uh, I I feel like I know what everyone's answers are, but uh, I'm I'm a slave to tradition. Thumbs up, thumbs down. Overall, how did we feel about this movie? Thumbs up. Thumbs up. Yeah, thumbs up. I, I big fan. All right, I loved it too. Excellent. All right, before we go, Josh, why don't you tell listeners out there where they can find you at online and what we can keep an eye out for from you in the future? Uh, well, you can find me personally at Josh Corngut just about anywhere. But more importantly, you can find my podcast, Development Hell, on Instagram at Development Hell Pod. And you can also find us on Twitter at Devil Hell Pod. And you can download the podcast anywhere you catch your podcasts if you're into horror movies that never actually got made. So stuff like Freddy vs. Jason 2 and the like. Thank you. Good deal. All right, Allie, Paul, you know the drill. Come on, tell people where mm-hmm. can they find you at online? What can we keep an eye out for? You can find me only at TikTok going forward at the Alley Chapel. <laughs> and anything else. Um, and I have that new movie that I'm going into production in this week. So, or like end of the week, beginning of next week. So if you follow my social medias, you'll probably get a lot of BTS for that whole thing. Otherwise, that's like all I got going on right now. But it's a lot. So I don't feel bad. Nor should you. Paul, how about you? Uh, as always, you can find me at the very modest uh, Twitter handle, Paul is great 2000 <laughs> uh, And uh, you can look out for articles that I write. Uh, I had uh, this month, I had an uh, article on Lust for a Vampire go up on my Hammer Factory column on Bloody Disgusting. And uh, I'm also doing my uh, Goosebumps column this year for the anniversary of the sh- of the of the book series that that formed me into the horror fam I am today. Oh, I can't um, Yeah, and Say Cheese and Die is my most recent one where I do a comparison of the '90s TV show episode to the book and talk about the differences and how it was adapted. Uh, and the next one coming up should be Night of the Living Living Dummy Part Two because that was the 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 one they adapted classic indeed of it all right josh ali paul thank you all so much for being a part of this show and thanks to all you listeners out there as always please make certain to like subscribe share use the comment section below scream at us on facebook and twitter that's at scream addicts and i am at jinx 1981 that's j-i-n-x 1981 until next time folks thanks so much and have a great weekend bye 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 Bye.